Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of Hemming and Hying. Uh, as always, it's Brett and Sean, but today we have a very special guest, near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, one of our best friends from college, Nick. He He's a wonderful man who uh, has a lot more knowledge in the world of uh, like computer science, cybersecurity, things like that, and likely baseball statistics, all the, all the fun stuff. So how are you doing today, Nick? I'm doing good. Thank you for that intro. Um, you know, I just want to take a moment to be honest and say, you know, I think that was probably a little bit too nice of an intro. I, you know, let's maybe drop the very off, very special. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think I'm generally a good person, but you know, I'm not, you know, Mahatma Gandhi. Or, wonderful. Like wonderful that. was a little too much of a compliment. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you don't want to, I don't want to be overhyped too much here, take too much credit. But thank you. Thank you both for having me. Really appreciate having the opportunity to talk with you. Hey, I undersold, and I'm expecting you to over-deliver, all right? That's that's my business model in the workplace, man. I'll tell you what, I love doing that, saying, oh, yeah, I'll have that done, you know, maybe Friday, and then, you know, give them that pleasant Thursday email, like, hey, got this here's done. Your, here's your shit. <laughs> but, yeah, how are you doing today, Sean? Oh, also. Yeah, we're here in person in yeah, Denver. I was neglectful. And Nick is on the call. Yeah. Unfortunately, not yeah, also it's, here. But. It's, it's in the morning for both of us, which is a little bit out of mine and Sean's realm right now because we're a little bit behind uh, due to prior intoxication. But we are working <laughs> on it. We're going to get it together through this whole damn thing. We've got time. A couple hours. Anything can happen. You can always have the second half come back. Amen. Amen. A late game rally. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Other than that, I've. What do we want to talk about this week, guys? You guys got anything that you want to get into? I don't have too much. I do kind of want to shit on China again, but it's a separate issue this time. They're trying to erase everything that happened and what what are they I forget what they were calling it, but they did they don't even refer to it as like the Tiananmen Square incident anymore. You could have probably just ended that sentence that they're trying to erase everything that happened. You could yeah, probably yeah. Have just put a period there and no that shit. would be an accurate sentence. No shit. But I don't know. Do you guys have anything uh, interesting currently on your minds? I'm always down to talk about the CCP. I don't know if you guys have kind of already touched on this subject, but, you know, just generally speaking, I feel like June is just going to be such a great reopening month and kind of the month I think historically we'll remember as when America kind of began post-COVID life. Oh, yeah. uh, so that may be, that's a subject I'll put out there we can maybe discuss. For sure. Sean, you got anything? Just uh, Bitcoin and hacking meat plants. Bitcoin and hacking. I'm down to talk about ransomware too. That's another good subject. Yeah, and do we know anything? Does anyone know more about the oil situation than me? I'm sure both of you do, but like to be honest, I don't know if I, uh, you know, to be honest, like oil, I'm not even sure. Is there? Are you talking about that pipeline on the east coast? Yeah, where where that that what what did they say they got hacked and they paid the people five million? Then that's why we were concerned about if the east would like have gas for a while. I think. For clarity's sake, I think it was five hundred million, wasn't it? Or, or, I, I I honestly don't know, but I know they paid them some sum of money. I'm pretty it sure was, yeah. they asked almost whatever price you want at that point. I mean, yeah, yeah and it's kind of a shame because I feel like I had read you know articles throughout my lifetime before this, you know, that had talked about and insinuated sort of the uh, the the proper terminology is fading me here, failing me here a bit, but, you know, cybersecurity lacking of our infrastructure, you know, so I'm surprised this is the first we're hearing 
of you know American infrastructure being taken over from ransomware. And I I agree with that. And I've always cause I was I've always heard that what something related to the nuclear program is so old that it's still run on floppy disks. <laughs> and and it's I don't safer. yeah, and <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know like how to update or like how these what this looks like as far as updating if they want to, yeah, whether it's safer to run it on an old system that no one really can access anymore. (laughs) But it's kind of crazy if things like that are the case. And unfortunately, I would not be surprised if if this is maybe a a growing trend. I mean, even a couple of years ago, I have a distant relative who runs an online business, and they got (laughs) ransomware and, and, you know, sort of just kind of had to start from scratch. They... They went with the old Hillary Clinton, we don't negotiate with terrorists, you know, they didn't pay up. But, you know, that meant they had to, you know, start pretty much fresh from new. And yeah, as as a lot of our, uh, uh, a lot of our infrastructure builds up, you know, I'll use a hot term, their technical debt, right? You get old systems and the longer they're around, it's like this irony of the more you have to rely on them. So they become almost sort of more important. The more deeply and integrated they become. The harder and more expensive. Right, right. And once they become more integrated, it becomes, you know, harder, more expensive and takes more time to sort of replace those systems. And yeah, because you're building on government those things projects. and building on the things that you attach to those things. And all of a sudden you're 67 layers deep and trying to cut out the yeah. heart of your operation. Think about like the think about it like the foundation of a building, you know. Like imagine trying to pull that out once you built the house on top of it. That's yeah. not an easy task at all. And pre, I think very, very soon pre-COVID, New Jersey, I think, we're looking for. You'll occasionally see and hear about. Um, there's a programming language called COBOL, C O B O L, and it's a super old school language. Like literally, my dad. Like he talks about like, oh yeah, you know, if you threw an old machine in front of me right now, I could get coding in COBOL. But like so many government systems run on COBOL and like when they need updates, they'll offer like, you know, sort of out of desperation, like really good pay. Like if you know COBOL, like we need updates to our software here. And like, it's sort of a dying skill. Like not too many people are familiar with COBOL anymore. So that would be an interesting, you know, how we societally handle that fascinating yeah that's kind of sam was just telling us about yesterday sam was telling us about uh this group of women in like in like a thai island or somewhere like in asia in uh oceania where okay they're they put on these insane suits and then spend an obscene like half an hour underwater harvesting mussels at like wild depths and it's all due to like some crazy breathing techniques that aren't being passed on anymore and it's not as relevant in the sense of very much impacts our society but it's kind of crazy that we're losing so much from the past Mm -hmm. just daily despite the fact that we live in sort of an information age which is interesting yeah almost in spite of you know Mm -hmm. uh and that's what i mean sean and i were talking about earlier with the the capitol building here Mm -hmm. like the capitol building was renovated in 2012 or 13 and on top there's this crystal ball it looks like an ornament Okay. And it's made out of 14 crystal panes. And when they took two of the panes out to get new ones made because they were like cracked or something, they took it to every crystal person in the world and no one could replicate that technique anymore. They couldn't make crystal the way that we used to in like 1905 or whatever. 
Oh, so it's just kind of lost. It's yeah. Just... And it, it just breaks my heart a little bit. It is a bummer. Like, it's, you know, sort of, you're never going to keep that. Oh, we lost you for a bit. Yeah, we lost you for a second. Are you back? Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. I, I kind of got lost a little bit there, too. I'm not sure if you heard my last sentence there, but just kind of weird that that originality can never be reclaimed. Yeah, and how how long would it take us to relearn that crystal, those crystal skills? <laughs> Probably forever. That's what I'm saying. No one's, it's just not really a place anyone wants to put their time. No, for sure, but if someone was going to invest their life in becoming <laughs> the crystal puller again, how long would it, like, they'd have to go through every single step and trial and failure that those guys did because we're just too stupid to write it down. It sounds horrible, especially because like crystal, it's not like you can, it's not like you can reverse engineer a, like there's not parts you can take apart. Like it's just, you know, it's like a glass, you know, like look at it. Okay. Now good luck. Get after it. (laughs) Figure the fuck out, idiot. (laughs) Pitter patter boys. Come on. Yeah. It always, I don't know, my dad and I always laugh at this line from the first Iron Man when, I don't even remember his name, the the main shitty guy, the fat guy with like the scruffy beard that's uh, old and bald, is yelling at his scientists for not being able to put together a suit uh-huh. like Tony Stark did. And he yells, Tony Stark did this in a cave with a box of scraps. And the guy just looks at him, well, I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> this is a pretty good point yeah it's a great point yeah. it's a perfect response yeah and yeah no go on I was just gonna say there weren't comic books made about that scientist you know there were <laughs> comic books made about Tony Stark yeah I'm not Tony Stark yeah that, that's just a fact and <laughs> it just it kind of ties in for me yesterday Sean Haley Sam and I were having a conversation about like reasons for doing things and like why we value what we value. And I'm definitely a person I, I would I think it'd be easy to make the claim and support that I'm probably the most traditional or like appreciate tradition in, in this group. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't know I don't know where you fall on that spectrum, Nick. Probably probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question. I think, yeah, I'd probably, you know, sorry to not bring a hot take to the podcast, but I think that somewhere in between is accurate. Because, I mean, like, I think it's one of those things where it's just good to, like, know and have and document. But, you know, I think you also don't want to be, like, dogmatically held to a tradition either. For sure. No, and I, and I agree. I agree with that for sure. Like, I don't think... I, I don't necessarily have a problem with tradition for tradition's sake, but if you have a problem with the tradition and that's the reason you're doing it, like, okay, then we'll figure something else out because that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard for me not to appreciate, like, things of the past. And even if I don't necessarily understand them, it might be valuable for something that I don't that I don't know yet or that, like, I can't ask my grandparents anymore, you know? Sure. So I don't sure. know. It's it's a it's a thing where it's it's really hard for me to not value the knowledge of the past to a certain extent because it, it came from somewhere and they weren't just big old dumb idiots carrying around rocks like I feel like they're often described in today's day and age. Like, and that's not what was going on. They had sticks <laughs> These, and they yeah. tied the rocks to the sticks. Yes, exactly. And then we chipped them into a wheel and we pedaled the car with our foot. Um, <laughs> so a question I'll pose to you both then here. I'll, I'll kind of turn this around, you know, guest playing the host role here. but Please do. You know, as 
we get so much more technologically capable as a society and as you know particularly i feel like uh storage electronic storage is just getting so cheap and and expansive are we at the end of this problem you know as a species or as a society like are we at the end of lost knowledge i don't think so i don't think so because i think it's still it if it's only meaningful to one person it still takes meticulous documenting by one person in a way that's accessible, you know? Mm. Like if I put everything in my life on my Google Drive, you know? Sure, sure. Then no one still has access to it. And if I die, I don't know, will someone be have access to it? Right. Or will it just disappear after a time? You could publish it publicly. But yeah, I mean, there are other things that are like trades are taught, you know, by doing hands-on things that you can Just getting really experience. And, and I guess you could, you could theoretically have so much storage and so much information out there that maybe it even exists, but you can't find it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the that's the next, that's the next step would be something that I've reflected on a fair amount is like the censorship of your search engine. You know, mm. like you don't look at a search engine doing optimized searching, quote unquote, as a form of censorship. But really, what is it? It's curating from 150 million hits, what it thinks would be the most accurate for you or most relevant to your life. Sure. So the thing that you're really looking for might be buried on page 75 million, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's... Because it's from some nobody's published right. Google Drive, you know? And right. I think that's kind of how it always goes with even like curriculum at college, like, right? Someone's curating or aggregating information and saying, here's the important information. I think that's kind of the big point of you could have all the information, but the things you're going to pay attention to are the things people or society are saying, these are the important things. And you definitely lose things that way when they just go out of style or like socially you do a big shift in how you behave or something like that. And then how much, I mean, <clears throat> of course in the United States, who doesn't have access to a computer at some point in time? Like homeless people have smartphones. Yeah. All of them, yeah. more or less, you know, public libraries. So, yeah. And public libraries. So who doesn't have some amount of access to that pretty much at all times versus there's still mass populations in like Africa and Asia that don't have that access that we do. Mm -hmm. So I still think in those parts of the world, like we might be losing information for still a good while now. Not that they, not that they don't have access at all, like they're savages. But I mean, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, yeah. but there's all kinds of access issues still, where I don't think uh, sure we'll be quite preserving all of that yet. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, you know, the first world problems, I guess, is kind of what we're we're talking about now yeah. here. Yeah, something that is probably a little bit more relevant to us than than others but i don't know right. it's and and i don't this this walk around the city really had me reflecting on a few things uh that i was telling sean about and i think this is when we launched a new episode on like private help versus public help uh -huh. as far as like Ooh, what's okay. what's the most beneficial to society and there there are just buildings from here from the early 1900s that are built on the cornerstone say buy in for the people of the city and county of Denver. And that's so cool. 
You know, like we're building opera houses for the people. <laughs> and we don't do that. We don't do things like that. Like just it's 1900. It's 1905 in Denver. We were fucking riding horses down the street, probably doing gunfights. And <laughs> the money that we're putting towards things is a fucking opera house to try and improve the culture of our people. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the Wild West, I think, in many ways is, you know, overstated in terms of, you know, how wild it actually was. But, yeah, I mean, just like it was, we were still a relatively new nation. And, you know, particularly in the West, like, yeah, how do you develop out that culture and that society? And, um you know, I guess if they thought at the time that the opera house was the best way to go, then, uh, you know, I'm not going to pass judgment on that. And, you know, if I was if I was going to launch into taxes, <laughs> I would say I'd rather have my fucking money spent on an opera house than the shit we do with it today. Uh, the spending. I mean, yeah, we could we could probably just do a whole podcast about government spending uh, government. in America, yep. both federal and, and state level. But it's just. Yeah, yeah for, it's kind of wild. For context for the listeners, Nick, where would you describe yourself? We we just did a whole thing about how we hate like terms in politics. Sure. But how would how would you how would you self-identify, Nick, on the spectrum that is just the political spectrum? Spe- yeah, just on the spectrum. <laughs> just on the spectrum. <laughs> no, politically, I mean, generally speaking, you can slap the old libertarian word to me, right? But um, you know, market economies, economic and and personal freedoms you know, I find to be um, beneficial and first and foremost. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So Nick and I and Brian, Sean, like we all fairly align fairly well in a lot of ways. I mean, Sean's the lib of this show, let me tell you. But. <laughs> At least in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> old lefty, old lefty Thompson, as they call him. You're basically a socialist. You know? basically I've been trying to say that for years. Power to the people. <laughs> I was just talking about how great command economies are the other day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We definitely didn't say that we should put everyone in a spaceship and fly them at the sun. Anyone who believes that. Yeah, old CCP Sean, as we say around here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a carrying member. He's how the you know CCP keeps it you know keeps tabs on us both, Brett. You know, I, it must be, it must be. He's he's a covert op. <laughs> so when when will a significant portion of the U.S. like defense budget just be cybersecurity? That's a very interesting question because I do think generally speaking, what do we consider you know, a significant portion to? I know half. Half. The, half I, would, I would call that a very That's significant portion. <laughs> Half. Half. <laughs> Half was kind of what I was imagining uh, mentally no. when, when Sean said so. And I wonder where it's at now. Like, are we at like 15%? Probably not. Um, I wish. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Sean, t- to kind of your question, I think it's great because I think generally, militaristically, we are transitioning away from sort of like boots on the ground you know, and, and sort of direct human intervention. Um, and I think yeah. there's like maybe How a are we great... going to kill the terrorists? Well, I mean, we're already doing it with drones a whole ton. Yeah. So now yeah, all we need no is some like... People. Right. If, and if we can get some like Star Wars prequel type droid army going too, I mean, then... 
then uh, let's raise an army of things that are controllable with our weak cybersecurity. <laughs> let's party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that can only go well, right? Yeah, I can't imagine that being bad. Building <laughs> robots that are made to fight humans. Let's go. Let's see how this one goes. <laughs> and I mean, I think already tens was a great decade for showing how there's this global cyber war of sorts going on, you know, between Snowden and the 2016 election. Uh, you know, I think those were great into how, you know, I think our governments do, you know, a lot of, uh, I want to try and be more technical than just saying hacking, but, you know, for lack of better terminology, I do think there is a lot of hacking that goes around in the globe that, you know, changes at least the information warfare, if not eventually, you know, it could step up into changing, you know, actual warfare. You know, it's depressing. Like, CIA MI6 used to be, like, badasses in suits with guns, like James Bond. Right. And now we just got a bunch of guys who only spend time in their mom's basement <laughs> saving the world, which is great. I'm glad that they've got more of a purpose now, but damn, it's sad that the spy is dying. Yeah, they're all private contractors typing away at their yeah. computers, like, <laughs> working <It's>... from home. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely less sexy, but I mean, like... I don't know. Would you rather it's, be? It's so much less sexy, but it's got to be so much more efficient. Has right. to be so much more efficient. Absolutely. Well, the problem with hacking is it's so much easier to be the aggressor than the defender. Like it takes mm-hmm. just like infinite times more resources to come up with like a super solid, always safe system that's unhackable than it does oh, for yeah. someone to come along and come up with some clever strategy to hack you. I remember uh, in my time interning, uh, um, I'm not sure if I should say the company name or not, you, you know, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll just say it, my college internship. Where, uh, like, what kind of company did you intern at if, if it's not, like, vague, but so people kind of understand? Yeah, vague. I guess I'll say a relatively well-known, uh, uh, started off as a life insurance company. And I'll, I'll sure. say that, that Do might even research, be enough. Well, say, that don't, you, be don't, enough. You, don't you snitch. We've got one German listener, Nick. <laughs> but there was a point in that internship where I got a little bit curious about cybersecurity and, you know, got a little bit more involved with some employees, you know, what's that process like, you know, what all goes into, you know, creating a secure application or a secure network. And I mean, it's insane the amount of documentation you need to have and the amount of discussions you need to have in terms of you know, well, if we're going to allow traffic through here, you know, we consider that, you know, is that a medium level risk, you know, and then what's the what's the likelihood of that risk happening? You know, are we willing to accept this risk or do we need to lock down the network even more at the expense of, you know, sort of more bureaucracy and overhead and, you know, more difficulty for folks to access resources internally? Um, it's very complicated and, and kind of to your point earlier, Sean, about it being easier to be the aggressor. Unfortunately, sometimes you don't know about vulnerabilities until you get hit with them. And that's why there's whole occupations, companies, and and really an industry around ethical hackers and ethical hacking. You know, people who companies pay and say, hey, don't actually do anything bad, but, you know, try to be a bad guy and find holes in our system for us. Yeah, Yeah, it's got to be so frustrating because you have to have 
all the creativity of the hacker, but then you've got to have all the time just to stop every single hole you find, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you think you've plugged every hole, you know, all, all, all a boat needs is one hole left open for it to sink, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think big tech companies even are spending an enormous amount of resources on just these sorts of problems. Oh, they have to be. Amazon and Google, I'm sure (laughs) half their engineers are, you know, all sitting at home coding and most of them have to think about this sort of thing every day. So here's a, here's a question. Like, I mean, do you think what, whose cybersecurity is stronger? Something like the government or something like Apple? I'm pretty Apple, if I'm personally I would have honest, I would have to believe it's Apple. Yeah, I would definitely I go mean, for Apple. I think it's probably a different kind of system, security-wise, and you know, well, and like, you need so many like so many less people need access to so much stuff. But. Yeah, and like if you jailbreak a phone, it really doesn't matter. Also, at the end of the day, so it's not like you need perfect security that way or anything like that, but. Yeah, you definitely as as need it so people can't come in and steal all the Apple users' information, which yeah. that kind of shit happens. Which the, the FBI time. tried that one time. That was fun. That was that was talk about an endearing moment for Apple in my heart, telling the FBI to go fuck themselves. Yeah, honestly, I, I generally consider myself anti-Apple, but that was just like such a great moment, so beautiful. It's nice to see a company say the man can shove it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and I feel like, you know, that's kind of just how it should be. Like, um, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, I mentioned the Snowden incident before and all the companies that, you know, I'm trying to remember, I think some were voluntarily, but there were definitely some secret court orders, you know, where they had to give the NSA, you know, a ton of user information. And and that's just, you know, I just can't imagine that. That draws me into... Well, I've got two more things that I want to discuss in this in the sure. security front while we've got you, Nick, because these are things that I don't know or understand. I, I should care more about than I do, or at least I should be more willing to put time in and into studying about it. But So with advancements in like expectation for governmental security and the need mm. for governmental security, mm. how do you feel that – how do you feel personal security is going – and then how do you feel about like personal security rights in the United States as far as like internet security, like private internet usage and your rights as far as that goes? Sure. Okay. Personal security, I think generally is going much better than sort of enterprise security, if you will. Okay. Um, even with folks, you know, I would argue maybe not generally being interested in that. You know, Brett, I don't think you are alone in sort of you know, thinking maybe you're not taking your cybersecurity as seriously as you should, but you see, I mean, like, all the time lately, I don't know if you guys have been seeing one of Apple's most recent ads, you know, where it starts with a, you know, dude buying a coffee in a coffee shop and, and, you know, all these privacy, you know, tracker folks, you know, there's just this metaphor. You're bringing my next comment right to fruition. Right, right. But, you know, and the whole point of the commercial is, hey, you know, we've built in a feature that you can choose who's tracking your information or not. I think despite maybe it not being a strong will of the people, there's still products and services hitting consumers, you know, such that they can be secure and private either when they want to or, you know, kind of whether they like it or not. 
and with a general amount of low effort on the consumer end. Exactly. Yeah. Which is yeah, key, and that's I think. Extremely key. Um, so, and that's the next thing. I, my question for you is, we've got, there's one, there's a billboard in Denver near a brewery that I'm walking by somewhat frequently. Okay. And it says, it's an, it's an Apple billboard and it says, privacy is iPhone. How do you feel about that statement? So, you know, and I'm going to try to not let anti-Apple sentiment get to me too much here. Oh, wait, no one died. No one cares here, buddy. <laughs> let the hate flow through you. <laughs> in a sense, yes. To their credit, in a sense, yes. You know, I mean, we were just talking about earlier how, you know, Apple stood up to the FBI on privacy grounds, right? And the iPhone is Apple. And so I think you could draw a logical conclusion that since the iPhone is Apple and Apple is privacy, iPhone is privacy. Uh, now, where where I might disagree at some points is if my memory is serving me correctly, when uh, Apple was first getting into biometric authentication on their mobile devices, sure. if my memory serves me correctly, it was actually very unsecure. Very, uh, you know, very possible for somebody, you know, I think particularly their facial recognition was just like, you could put somebody else's face up to it and there would be a pretty decent chance that it would just unlock the iPhone, you know, even if it wasn't like the pictures user. too, like pictures yeah. of people's oh, yeah. faces unlocking a phone. Definitely. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a good example as well. So, you know, in the end, marketing is marketing and, and you give marketing an inch and, you know, they'll turn it into a mile. That's kind of their job, right? But I also don't think it's a completely false claim. Okay. Okay. No, I, I mean, think, that's... Yeah, I think Apple has been the leader in a lot of the attitude in tech towards caring more about privacy and being the willing to do it on your own time. And just like we said, like the consumers don't really have to ask for it and... You know, you can try to market with it, but, you, you know, privacy might not actually be that great of a marketing strategy for them because maybe people don't care that much, but they still have the attitude where they're going to do it anyway. And it sort of sets a tone, I think, in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, if we want to compare big tech, I would, in terms of privacy, 10 times out of 10, I'm taking Apple over like a Microsoft per se. Yeah. Um, because two, two reasons why, if memory serves me correctly, I've been bringing up Snowden a lot. I, I'm not sure why, but that whole NSA scandal that you know Snowden brought up, if memory serves me correctly, I think Microsoft was totally voluntarily giving up tons of information. Like I, I think no you're correct. No court orders and all that. And I was texting a, a good buddy, a longtime friend from high school uh, yesterday, and he was talking about how he uh, got rid of TikTok because... Uh, the exact reasoning is failing upon me, but, you know, information tracking without user consent and, sure. you know, somewhat tongue-in-cheekly, I, I texted him back. I was like, wait, you're telling me a Chinese product that was purchased by Microsoft is doing information tracking without your permission? That's odd. Yeah, yeah, no shit. No shit, buddy. And, I mean, if we're going to parlay this into China and tech... Boy, do I have a transition for you guys. All right. Uh, uh, recently, at least this is something I just scrolled past within the last two days. Bing has changed their, whatever, like search engine, however it works, to not bringing up the Tiananmen Square massacre anymore. Mm. Wow. Their mm. algorithms. Yeah. That's an interesting play. 
This is, you this know... Is on June, yeah, June 3rd. So that was recently. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things where I... <clears throat> excuse me. I still generally consider myself very strongly market economy. But, you know, like all things in life, you know, it's imperfect and it has its flaws. And, you know, the unfortunate fact of the matter is there's a lot of, you know, China has a massive population. That is a large market. That's a hard business opportunity to pass up on. And unfortunately, you know, the way rights are established, the way the the government functions in that country, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to get through to my people, you know, you got to be good with me. You got to go through me. You know, that's kind of what the CCP is saying to the world. Gotta get the, <laughs> the Chinese are the Spice Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm down with that comparison. Let's make that you know the uh, episode quote here. But um, yeah, China it's unfortunate. Spice like, question mark. <laughs> Our conspiracy. Money. How can you pass up on that money? That's a lot of money to say no to. You know, all for you know. If you think about it, like if you're if you're a money hungry executive at Microsoft or at Bing or whatever you will. And, you know, some techie tells you, well, you know, we can't operate in China if we don't change these search results, right? The executive's going to be like, all we need to do is change some search results around and we can make tons more money. You know, of yeah. course, the executive's going to say yes to that. And we, I guess we used to call that like business ethics or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to sort of care about the yeah. right thing. But I think that's a little like tongue in cheek on its own for anyone yeah, who's they- taking like an economics class and also trying to sneak that in on you and it's sure. like well yeah like pretty sure you're gonna go for the money yeah our ethics are more money and that's fine <laughs> i'm pretty sure but... your whole field says that people will do what makes the money mm-hmm. not quote unquote the right thing well and a, a, a pro market economy sort of counter to that i'll say is you know uh uh Ian had sent us that search engine that's being created by uh, at least one, if not a couple, former Google execs where, you know, you have to pay. It's a subscription format, but, you know, it's search results as they are. No censoring, no filtering, no advertisement prioritization, none of that. So, you know, services will come up where there's a vacuum. Yeah. And that's always, there are a lot of search engines being made and, I actually was listening to a guy called named George Hotz, who's the famous for being the first guy to hack the iPhone way back when. <laughs> and he was kind of giving a Work review of search same. engines. And it was interesting to hear about, you know, basically all of them are biased no matter what, because you have an algorithm. So you can't not bias search results. And then a lot no, of times yeah, that's, that's... people try to unbias them. And, you know, those algorithms are nonsense. But it's also just interesting to like look at the search engines even and like you see Bing and it's just like this whole shit page of a million ads. But that, and, and, like, that's, and that's where we were talking in my like uh, the First Amendment class I took senior year. We mentioned it briefly yesterday. Like mm-hmm. you want censorship in your search al- in your search algorithms because you want the most prioritized like like the most likely significant piece of information to you to be at the top and not buried hundreds of pages away. You know, you will search engines almost have to have some amount of censorship, which is just the concept of prioritizing certain links over others. Like that's censorship in its own right. Is it though? Because I mean, as long as the information is still there, like if I told you three pieces of information, but I tell you the third 
piece of information, you know, way late or in a slightly inconvenient way, you know, a la needing to maybe go back a couple pages in a search engine. Is that censorship or is that just, you know, maybe sort of limitations of a product? I, I think it's I think it's both. I think it fits the concept of censorship in the way that you don't necessarily have access to this information by means of it's a difficult thing. Like, okay, if you give me, if you give me, if you tell me I need to find one sentence and it's like every single sentence is just cut out, same length, same size on a page of paper, on a piece of paper, and you throw it in a field of 750,000 sheets of paper. (laughs) It's not that the information isn't there, but it's also going to be almost impossible for me to find Mm -hmm. unless you prioritize that information to the front. But then by saying like, hey, it's most likely going to be in the left third of this field or that these 150 sheets right here. Right. Sure. Like that, that is generally more helpful to me, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier to access to find what I need amongst the rest of the field. So it's both a limitation and I mean, because it has to have some amount of this is most likely to be what you need just to be functional. Right. Right. Otherwise, right. you're not doing anything. But as a search engine. Yeah. But the idea that I can write in, put Tiananmen Square on the 750 millionth page where no one will ever access it again. Right. That's clearly censorship. I mean, if you're clearly intentionally doctoring your algorithms, sure. For displaying some, I. Like there no, has but to be, yeah, but like we're there saying has to be still there. Like philosophically. You know, you'd say there has to be some form of censorship, no matter how you do a search algorithm, even if you just... It's designed to be, yeah. Well, even if you just listed the results, like, in chronological order or something, like, you're still, quote-unquote, censoring, because you're choosing a way to present the information. But I think from a practical standpoint, like, obviously that's true, and it's really not... That's not a problem. No, it's not. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're going in, though, and saying, you know like only show link or prioritize links from these people or don't show this keyword, like yeah. then it's clearly censoring. And and that was more or less the, the professor's point was that like we have such a negative connotation of censorship in American society, especially when a lot of the things we use day to day have it built into their systems and it's necessary. Otherwise those things don't function to the way that we want or need them to. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it's, it'll be interesting to see how, like, you know, the markets play out in those scenarios. Like, if, you know, Google starts really messing around with their search results, you would imagine that some other search engine might start catching on or they might, you might have, like, 10 competitive players instead of Google still capturing 95% of all search. Yeah. You would hope. I mean, it's kind of a good test of, you know, uh, my and and our faiths in in market economies, right? Because, you know, eventually, you know, eventually, yeah, there has to be some sort of point, right, where businesses stray too far away from a portion of their customer base's needs and desires. And, yes, some other, some entrepreneurs got to build a product that, you know, comes and swoops up that vacuum. And I guess another, another, issue that I generally have with companies and their approaches to things. Like I have no problem if you're doing something for the money. Just say you're doing it for the money. No one cares. Like right. I've bitched about LeBron and the NBA so many times. <laughs> <laughs> because like 
And LeBron, I don't fucking care what your stance is on social issues as long as you're cashing checks from China. Yeah. Like, right. what are we talking about, dude? It would have been nice with that whole NBA China situation. You know, I'm still sour about that whole ordeal from, you know, what was that, 2018? Yeah, when the Rockets owner said free Hong Kong or whatever. Or I stand right. Hong Kong. It, I would have, I'm not going to say I would have appreciated it more. But I certainly would have respected the NBA a lot more if they just straight up had said, China's a lot of our money. We're just kind of with them, and that's exactly. what it is. Exactly. Like, guys, we can't really have too much issues with these guys because they give us billions of dollars. That's right. it. Right. We would, business-wise, financially, be in a very different situation without this country. So we kind of have to simp. Let's just be honest with each other, and that's fine. Yeah. I would love to hear that, and I, I would respect them a lot more, personally. Right. But don't, as they say, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like, don't <laughs> tell me. Don't tell me you care about social issues in the United States with all this wild posturing and gestures and bullshit and frankly bullshit and then just be like well you know Muslims in China I don't know Hong Kong never heard of her (laughs) I always love in Formula One uh, you'll see a lot of you know billboards or ad displays you know during the broadcast in the background of races and such you know, their big sort of diversity phrase is race is one. And I always love the irony of how much they'll put that up when they go race in countries that are just like military dictatorships, massive human rights violations, clearly racing here for the money. Race is one. Like, I <laughs> the love UAE, so baby. Much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally having their cake and eating it too with that. <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put that up. They're gonna build a track in Qatar with slaves, probably. Then put that up in the background. I, honestly, that's it. Would not surprise me if that happened. Like, if I read an article about that today, I would not blink an eye at it. I'd be I'd be like, that's F one. That's F one. Yeah, that and that shit is just. Uh, it's. I understand what we're trying to do, and I understand that you probably feel it's necessary as an organization to have certain stances, but. I don't understand how anyone respects or takes you seriously for it. Yeah, I think it's what we were talking about earlier. It's it is pretty transparent. Like or even it though, should be, even though they aren't outright saying, you know, we're just doing it for the money, and they're trying to have this other stance. Like that is them doing it for the money. They think having the stance is going to make them more money. Yeah. And you know, trying to quote unquote, you know, put the veil over your eyes and give you a oh, bunch it's, of it's, lies. It's Nike with. <laughs> It's Nike with the whole like Kaepernick situation. Mm-hmm. To me, it is like still transparent that this is about the money to you. Yeah. Like if Nike didn't, if Nike, you can't convince me that Nike only like joined with Kaepernick because they like the, the good of the cause and he deserves to have his voice heard. And, you know, he's just a stand up guy and we got to take care of him. Nike thought they'd sell more shoes and there's no problem that you can, you can do both. It can be both. Mm-hmm. It's right. hard to separate it, though. Yeah. I mean, it. you know, it's kind of the same with, like, an individual. Like, are you actually doing these things because you're a good person? Or are you, you know, trying to manipulate everyone somehow? And the same is true with the company. It's like, even if your stance is actually that you care about human rights, you know, just t- taking that stance also seems like you're trying to make a profit from it. And yeah. Then you just got to see whether or not they follow through on and that's where, and that's where, yeah, about. okay, so we're talking about Nike and Kaepernick, but then another thing that Sean and I have talked about was a House bill probably like six months ago at this point, 
Okay. So it was a house bill that said, like, if you're going to do work with the Chinese and either like have a product manufactured in China, like you have to look into your supply lines to make sure that no forced labor is being used uh, or any kind of, I don't, I don't know, if, I, what's the difference between forced labor and slavery, you know? But, right, words. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, terminology. So it was, it, was a, it was a bill that was made to make companies look into their supply lines. And make sure that there was nothing shady or shitty going on. And in the house, it passed like 406 to 3. Ooh. And then it got to the Senate and they didn't even deliberate on it. Because Wait, there was vote? there was all of a sudden you've got Coca-Cola, Nike, Apple saying, hey guys, a lot of our shit's from China. Yeah. You got shut yeah. down real quick. So that and that's where it's just like like I don't fucking care about your political posturing in the United States. If when you actually have a chance, like when something that the people damn near unanimously want, or the representatives of the people damn near unanimously want, you're just going to shut it down even before we get to talk about it. Yeah, very. Um, uh, what what is the term for when? you know, citizens can basically force a bill into law via a vote. Is that a referendum? I don't know. Actually, I have to go to the bathroom really quick. So give me one minute. You guys keep talking if you want, but I will not be involved. <laughs> sure, sure. We can keep it running. But uh, Sean, do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't know the word for it, but do I know we, what you're saying. I'm just wondering, do we have that at the federal level? I know we have that at the state level because that's how some states have legalized marijuana. Oh, sure. But I'm not sure. Do we have that at the federal level? Because that sounds like a bill that totally, you know, should be getting, you know, pushed through via a referendum, if that's the terminology. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess I would think probably not, but I don't know. I mean, even so, it'd probably still be really hard to do if you Certainly. had interested parties. I feel like with the marijuana thing, there's not like a huge opposition like no one's not too many people are losing money from legalizing marijuana that are sure. like organized lobbying groups. I wonder what how easy it would be for, you know, Nike and Apple and whoever else to sway the public. This but is true. I, I you'd think you'd get pretty good public support for that one when you well, you obviously had the whole house behind it. Right. That's and that was kind of my thought, right? Is like if and I guess maybe that's a bit of a logical assumption I'm making here is that the vote would be, you know, a bit of a landslide. But, like, yeah, if the House is representative of the people, which, you know, there's probably some debate we could have about that. But that but, is their name. Right. right. <laughs> if they are doing as their titles state they are, then, yeah, if it was put to a referendum vote and we could totally circumvent, you know, the Senate and, and or possibly the executive branch uh, if this is all even a thing – then yeah, this seems like a this seems like a great opportunity to have you know such a power, such a, a vote. It does seem like a good thing. It's hard for me to come up with an argument on the other side why like some of these ethical things would be bad for people. Like I'm sure it'd be bad for businesses in some ways. And oh yeah, and, and I mean there's there's definitely some you know excuse me <clears throat> excuse me there's definitely some legal questions just in terms to like. How can you regulate um, a domestic business's international 
uh, dealings. Certainly. Right? Like, I'm, I'm no lawyer or politician, so maybe there's, you know, listeners who would be like, oh, that's easy. But it seems like a bit of a gray area to me to try and regulate something, you know, commerce that's happening outside your borders. Yeah, that's actually, more recently, that's been a bigger topic. I know they've been working on bills for trying to get companies to stop like hiding money offshore and like you know just paying taxes in some other country and not paying taxes to the u.s and trying to trying to sort that out because it is like a kind of ridiculous problem where you have you know a massive company like google in pretty much every country in the world and you know they're still headquartered in the u.s and what what do you really want that to look like and for tax purposes also obviously government's coming for their money so right. trying to maximize that tax is theft tax is theft yeah i don't know on, on the one hand like you know certainly as our government you know debt grows which i think we are a split you know three part you know three triumvirate on that issue but as our debt grows you know i do like the idea of not missing well, out modern, on modern tax monetary sean <laughs> Who fucking cares? Sorry, second. No, I, uh, I. It stresses me out, as I'm sure you're well aware. But yes, carry on with what you're saying. Just, I don't want to miss out on revenue that theoretically should be there. But yeah, as a believer in you know that tax taxation at its core is theft. You know, as long as there have been taxes, there have been folks you know trying to dodge taxes. So. You know, that's why I've always kind of been of the opinion of let's not try and build a society that needs and depends on taxes and it's all about strong arming people into taxes. But let's try and build a society where we eventually do get to that independence and people don't have to work so hard to, you know, dodge taxes, which I think they're generally very effective at. Yeah, because I mean, the, the more the more you put tax as a significant sum. The higher a percentage of your money that's going back into the hands of the government or to not back into, but to the hands of the government, the more significant the incentive to try and dodge, the more significant amount of the tax money that you're spending must be spent on trying to catch the people that are trying to dodge. It's a, it's a vicious it's, cycle where you just end up wasting more and more money definitely. within which you require taking in more money, which inspires wasting more money. Well, I mean, catching people isn't going to be a significant amount of the tax money sense. How much do you think the IRS spends on auditing every year? Tiny amount uh, compared to the federal budget. Tiny, tiny. I guess, yeah, compared to the federal budget. But the value itself, percentage-wise, it might be small, but the value itself might still be pretty massive. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure that's right. And what else could we be doing with that money? (laughs) Exactly. There's all kinds of things. Building fucking opera houses and... Sweeping the homeless <laughs> off the streets. Oh, it is. A, it's a very interesting economic point about, I mean, taxes. I mean, one way to look at it is, well, taxes are basically wealth redistribution in all forms. If you look at the top, mm-hmm. well, and also public goods, like the top spending is social security, health care, and defense. Yeah. So that's 80% of the budget right there. And Sixty percent of that is all you know social welfare programs, and that's and kind of the so theory effective. of those know, get people back. On <laughs> if your economy is functioning well, the economy itself should be distributing the wealth as needed to the people, 
And yeah. the tax is basically taking the market economy and saying, well, that something's not quite working here. We think these people shouldn't be homeless on the streets and let's try to give them some money and turn that around. Obviously, whether or not that really works at all is certainly up for question. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, well, Denver's taking in another $40 million this year in sales tax to try and deal with the, the homeless issue. We don't say problem anymore. Mm, sure, How about opportunity? Sure. Opportunity for the success. Opp- the opportunity for success, yeah, no. Heaven forbid we describe people living in a, a full-on block of tents with tarps over them as a problem in your in your downtown metropolitan area. Do you guys um, remember, you know, I'll slightly conversationally, conversationally transition here if we're talking a bit about homeless. Um, and I guess remember or, you know, ever knew about. Uh, there was a gentleman in the greater L.A. area who, you know, was being a, a proper activist in, in the Is this like the house thing? The like mini house thing? Yes! Yes. Yes. Fuck L.A. Dude, he's being a proper activist. Like, I think there's too much activism these days where it's, like, just screaming at the government to do things that you want them to do. Yeah. Whereas, like, being a proper or activist where this... bricks. Right. Because <laughs> it's, right. like, lighting things on fire and looting and... Sorry, not looting. Um, 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 wealth, wealth redistribution in violent fashion. <laughs> That's all. That's all activism, too. Right. And, and quote-unquote, mostly peaceful. <laughs> even though I, I love that one screenshot from a cnn broadcast where it's just like you know it says mostly peaceful in like this sort in of the headline <laughs> and then it's just a fiery city Fire in, the background. in the background yeah just yeah in flames <laughs> mostly peaceful but how about the ridiculousness of this dude you know sort of like pulling himself up by his own bootstraps he's like you know what I think we can improve homelessness in the greater LA area, and I am going to do something about that. And yeah. he created what I thought was a super wonderful and effective solution. Yeah. I mean, these mini homes, they're not perfect. Like, obviously, you'd rather have them in a nice, proper home that they own. That's always the end goal, but you can't just get them there overnight. Um, and yeah, of course, LA took issue with it. And, you know, made them, uh, you know, I can't remember if they seized the mini homes themselves or just made the dude t- tear them down. But it was just they, ridiculous. Yeah, they, I think, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know this story that well, it was a guy who was, like, building legitimate mini houses. I mean, they weren't, they were definitely very small. But, but instead of having shelter. tents on the streets, you'd have, like, multicolored, kind of, like, moderately cute mini houses for people to stay in. Where Definitely. you can get more out of the elements, you can like possibly have a bathroom of some sort. And LA told him to shut it down because it wasn't uh it wasn't a city approved initiative or something. That's mm-hmm. what they claim. Mm-hmm. And they told him to shut it down and then they seized the houses he'd already put up. So what are we doing here? Right. I mean, if it's about making the homeless not homeless then why are we stopping people from giving homeless people homes? Like, <laughs> Yeah, we, that, that impacts no one. Right, I mean, or at least it's the same impact it was before. Like maybe they are still on public property or private property where they're maybe technically not allowed, but like 
at well, least a fucking eyesore doing crack and masturbating on the on the concrete anymore. And in I've seen both that... of those. Oh, nice! The I watched a woman kiss on fun. the sidewalk the other day, Nick. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just dropped her drawers and squatted. Well. You know, you, uh, I mean, was it at least in an alleyway, or was it just... Hell no. It was on, it was on arguably a major intersection corner. Street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, actually, though, maybe that's kind of, maybe she thought she was, like, hiding in plain sight, you know? She was like, oh, there's so much going on here at this intersection, I can probably do it real quick. It was Saturday morning at, like, 7.30, so it's not, I think I was, I might have been, the, no, I wasn't the only person who saw because she was in front of two cars that were stopped at the light of the intersection, but... <laughs> You know, it was, it's just an experience that I don't need or want as a citizen of, of this great state and city. Maybe the right. more compassionate side is also, I don't want someone in a position where they think that they have uh, to do that. Yeah, here comes Lib Sean. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's kind of both of you guys, though, right? I mean, yeah. first of all, nobody should have to be, you know, seeing potentially yeah. seeing people's sexual reproductive organs and and uh, you My know, my young eyes can't handle these things. Digestive waste in in a public setting, you know, there's sanitary concerns there, but also, yeah, it's a problem you need to tackle because, like, also you should be thinking, you should be thinking. Yeah, let's try and find a solution where they do have a proper place to go, not just out of my own eyesight, but also something that, you know, is, you know, works for them. And it's a situation, and that's, it's kind of a situation where I don't really care why people give to charity. Like, like this situation, like, I don't really care if we're, if we want a solution because me, the uppity city folk, doesn't want to see someone dropping drawers and pissing on my streets. Or Sean just wants people to have a better quality of life. Uh, I don't really care what the reason is as long as we're both willing to work together to figure out the best way to get what we want. You know, because we want the same thing. We just want it for different reasons. So I don't really care what, uh, like, why we give to charity or how we end up with those solutions as long as we're getting there and being somewhat productive. Ends justify means. In a lot of uncharitable situations for me, yeah, I don't fucking care if, if corporations are just doing it for tax purposes. Right. Why should I? <laughs> well, and if anything, that's why the tax benefits should be there. Like, yeah, everybody's going to want, you know, we were just saying earlier, everybody's very effective and always wants to tax dodge. So why don't we create a system that incentivizes it to benefit other people? Like, yeah. <laughs> that seems, you know, like a good idea to me. <laughs> yeah, one would one would think, but, you know, here we are. The world uh, is suffering from an overpouring of compassion currently. <laughs> <laughs> All placed in exactly the right spot that it should be. All of the <laughs> anger and... It's, it, again, goes back to a conversation for me, at least, that Sean and I had yesterday, where I said, we're getting, as a society, way too caught up in minutiae. And forgetting our ability that like like a lot of the conversations we're trying to have today have been had and that we had solutions that were generally effective. And it's not that we shouldn't still be having those conversations or or informing people as they're going through school or college of how we got to the places we were in like Western philosophy and ideals. But when we're rehashing every single little thing, it feels like we're having a debate about atoms and what if they're nucleus if the electrons are inside the nucleus if they're outside the nucleus <laughs> like, sure. it just feels like we're rehashing things that are generally settled but we're not teaching anybody about it like we're teaching them science 
And I find it crippling because I don't feel like we're making any advancements in ways that are productive or reasonable. We're just having armchair philosophical talks constantly. Humanities have failed us. Yeah. Our prioritization of them certainly has. <laughs> and everybody wants to talk about gender when nobody wants to talk about anything important. No offense it's to true. any of our gender fluid listeners. You're important and you're hurt. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that, actually. You know, you, they, they, we're, we're hearing them. but you We know. are hearing them. We're acknowledging them. But also, like, if, you're, if you've made it this far, you probably have to think somewhat similarly or you're just kind of sadistic and you like, in the sense of you like people that just shit on dumb things that, in my experience, a lot of people value in that world. Um, <laughs> so, whatever. If, as long as you're a listener, I don't care why you're here either. It's charitable giving for me, too. You know? <laughs> just keep coming back. If you hate listener, if you love listen, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, I don't mind, you know, being the occasional podcast villain, you know, right? You got to have good guys and bad guys, so. I think, and I think that's the role that I usually play, because Sean has to come in and talk about compassion for the people. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> got to have that balance. more of an asshole. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Figure it out, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't – it's been an interesting experience doing the podcasting because it's been a – it's definitely been a pretty – a place where I've been pretty free to say whatever I want or at least I've felt free to say whatever I want. Sure. And I generally have gone down that route and made jokes that are generally like somewhat questionable. They've gone on rants that are certainly questionable. But at the same time, like it should be – that though everything I've said I, are defensible in one way or another in my opinion. Like, it's not like I've done anything that's overtly horrific just for shock value, but... <laughs> we live... I, go on. I was just going to say, we live in a time, though, where, you know, sort of the... We have fairly wide legal guidelines and guardrails on what you can say. For sure. But we've built, you know, over the last couple of years, we've built very narrow, you know, social... Uh, and cultural guidelines on, on what you can and cannot say, uh, which is a very interesting dynamic because uh, now it's, so, you know, I the, the beauty of freedom of speech, I think, is still intact in a lot of ways today, but it's almost kind of like we're fighting with our siblings or something now, you know? And that's, and that's the question. Is it, I mean, it's, it's almost certainly worse to be legally prosecuted for right. something. Yeah. Like the idea that the government can step in and have an issue with you and they like an entity that has much, much more power than you. But also it's not great that you can be crucified in the, in the social sphere either. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, it's not, you don't want either of those to be a thing. You want the culture. You want, I, I want consistency between my culture and my laws generally. I'm obviously very thrilled that free speech is in a great place right now as far as, um, legal precedents and things but i'm nervous that we've got a chicken we've got a mild chicken or the egg scenario uh in yes we have wonderful legal protection now but how well do we need our society to line up with our legal protection or will the society erode the legal protection in the future Ooh. um is that it's, it I mean, stresses me out a little bit. That is how laws, you know, are made, and that's why a group of people lives in a country. Yeah. In theory, well, obviously you're all burned into it and forced into it to start, but you know, so society decides on the laws as a group, 
of what they like and not like to live under. And I guess if the majority of people stop valuing certain laws, then those laws will change, which I think a lot of those laws, like you said, there's a reason they've been in place for so long and that they worked for so long. And so I, I think it's unlikely we get rid of a lot of them. But I don't know if we start, if we get to a place where we're expanding the Supreme court, we're moving forward, not valuing the same things from a like humanities perspective, like the studies more than speaking on the populace. Like, why should I, why should I feel comfortable with that? You know, if Mm -hmm. we're, if we're changing the way people think about these things or how people value American ideals, like free speech, then why should I expect the same valuation in 50 years or the same protections on those values? It, it, I think it would just be such a, especially at the federal level to change, you know, and start restricting speech. I think that would just be such a fundamental change to this nation. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but a lot of dominoes need to fall. I uh, Whether... fully agree with that. And I think by the time the third domino had fallen, I you can find me in the streets uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, practicing my Second Amendment right, likely against, uh, against uh, the junta that is the current government that's attacking my rats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess then, like we said before, the most more interesting is like the social like, you know, what can you say? And there's like the concept of the Overton window, like, you know, what is socially acceptable to say? And that can kind of shift, which, you know, changes discourse and it effectively changes how people feel about ideas and what people think about. And yeah, that is kind of concerning. There are laws like, you know, you can't defame people. And it does seem like a lot of stuff that happens with people getting, you know, canceled it's like really getting and, close to some of those laws of and I you think, can't just slander people and try to ruin yeah, their lives oh, right. for sure and i think where you could probably see this happening the fastest in a law world or at least where i would be not surprised if people are very much trying to push for this is the concept of hate speech yeah because mm-hmm. hate speech is in my opinion a ridiculous uh and obviously not a legal issue in the united states as it shouldn't be but people want it to be. People mm-hmm. would love for hate speech to be a legal problem in the United States. Yeah. And that stresses me out because that's a thing that's very, very targeted. And you can see shifts in places like Canada. Like Canada has hate speech yeah. laws now. Yeah. I just... Right? I don't know I, if they always have, but I know that they now include things like pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like mis- mislabeling someone is hate speech. I would just never use, I, I'm just always referring to people by name if such a law would pass like that, which would be so ridiculous, but I would just. I Until would just they decide to brain. change their name, Nick, and then you misname them, and now you're in prison. Yeah, Jesus oh, Christ. <laughs> I feel like it's probably not quite that extreme. Uh, like my, like my, like my, one of my philosophy professors always said, slippery slope is a, is a uh, fallacy, but some slopes are slippery. <laughs> I just have never understood personally for me when we talk about, uh, you know, speech restriction or, or just personal liberties, individual liberty restriction. I The way I've always seen it is, you know, that's a, that's a weapon and that's a double-edged sword, you know. And I think you're being short-term when you implement those laws for your benefit. 
because oh, yeah, sh- short term it works for you and your power base but if the political power base of you know government changes and now that weapon changes hands and now that weapon's pointed at you yeah that's tough and that's free very speech tough. free speech being for the mi- fundamentally a defense for the minority is inarguable mm-hmm. <laughs> that's who free speech is for the people who aren't who don't have the most powerful voice, who aren't in the majority. Right. So if you're pro, so pro-minority as a person, or that's a belief that you have, if you would describe yourself as a pro-minority person and you're not a staunch free speech defender, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, liberties and freedoms, yeah, I think they are equalizers. I, I don't, I, I just... I would be shocked if we ever found a way or, or somebody ever, you know, proved a way where it was not the case. You, you need that level playing field, you know, from a, from a legal perspective in order for everybody to have that sort of, uh, fairness, you know, maybe for lack of a better word. Or at least any hope at achieving that. Right. Because right. Yeah, the, the definite, by having something that doesn't treat everyone as equal, it's inherently unfair. You know, so you couldn't ever achieve fairness through that system. Yeah, I think we still understand those ideas pretty well. Like there were a lot of free speech conversations that happened recently with like the whole parlor thing and stuff. And you had a lot of people making those same points. And I don't think a lot of people saying no i don't like those points you definitely i think it's i think it's really hard for people it's hard for people currently to say i don't like free speech which is good like you should be ashamed of that you fucking idiot but uh i don't know i don't i can see it as a thing it's a it's a thing where again like i see this as the like the laws of physics you know the laws of thermodynamics like that is my Direct comparison. Mm-hmm. We understand, like, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. we understand these things from a scientific perspective in the sense of, like, all of our testing has, has gone into defining something that is consistent and will always work within our current framework, within our current understanding. Right. And if something completely new comes in, if something completely new comes in that we've never discussed or we've never tried to argue for, then we'll we'll do that. We'll have the debate over this new information. And if it if it proves successful, then we've got to change our law to, to factor in this new information now. And then we've got to kind of reconsider things. And we'll do that. But if you're not introducing new information, you just haven't heard the conversation on that argument before. Right. Then what are we like then what are we doing? Like we we should be discussing this at the highest levels of significance. I th- but it is a learning process for those people. That's how people go through. Like you, a failure of to, society, in my well, opinion. I think just a lot of it's happening more publicly. I don't know. Like, I think that's been the process of always. Like, you know, you swing from, like, maybe valuing free speech but not knowing why and then going, oh, we need to care about this group. We need to make these laws. And then you learn more and you come back and you know, you're back on the side of free speech and that's like the normal process people have to go through. And that means people have to hold a lot of bad opinions. But that's where I'm saying we should be going through this process at, in age, in like high school and like middle school, high school, college, or when you should be having these conversations, at least at the base level, 
which we're having so many fucking base level conversations on things like free speech. Obviously, it's it's interesting to apply to a world in like technology in a way that we like they didn't have to argue about in 1940 or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But at the end of the day, so many of our arguments currently are so fundamentally based that it's not that entertaining. And it's well, one, yeah, I want to be entertained because I'm bored with these conversations. <laughs> but not these conversations, but you know what I mean. But it feels like we have lost the ability to explain to people via education or whatever, or maybe we just don't have a society that's interested enough in learning about it anymore. Because sure, yeah, you can you, you can definitely make the claim that previously people just loved their rights because they were told, like, we loved America and this is, and America's better for this, this, and this. Right. I think that's really unfair to old people <laughs> and people of generations right. past. They definitely thought about it. Yeah, I think that's unfair, <laughs> but... Yeah, and I so I just think that we're doing either a bad job teaching people why these things are valuable, and we're probably doing a really we're definitely doing a really bad job of explaining like this is the process we got to appreciating these values. And no, the answer is not because the answer is very rarely because America wanted slaves as to why all of our values exist now. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, there's I kind of hate like you know any sort of for lack of a better terminology, woke argument about, you know, America, you know, wanted this unequal society, you know. I, I don't think you can definitively say that. Undoubtedly. You definitely can't. Undoubtedly. There's so much writing from the founding fathers that were like, you know what, slavery is pretty bad, but we're trying to do something that's crazy right now. We're trying to get this wildly new ranging country to say we're going to be together and kick the fuck out of these British folks. Like we're trying to do Mm -hmm. something that's almost going to be an impossible task as is. So trying to take away something that would shatter your newborn Republic is, is is untenable in this moment. It's not that the founding fathers all loved slavery. Sure. Some were, some were slavers for sure, but many of them wrote about the evils of slavery. And many of them said like, guys, again, like it's not, it's, you're making a tough decision. And I know that's an impossible, like, talk about an unpopular thing to say that <laughs> looking at slavery is just a tough decision. But you have to make, like, when you're trying to start a nation, those are the decisions you have to make to try and keep the rest of the ideals that will eventually work towards the freedom of all in a way that's never been seen before. And... Just to backtrack a little bit in your statement there, you know, not that I am going to say, you know, that slavery is a tough decision, but, you know, I think so much, we make so many mistakes societally when we look back in history and and we put it in our modern context. Um, And to your point, Brett, so many of the things, you know, early Americans, founding fathers were doing were super radical at the time. I mean, they were the, they were the libs of the time, for sure. (laughs) They were way out there. And they were the so, libs in the sense of true liberals that yeah, wanted freedom. Right. Classical, yeah. classical liberalism. Yeah, the hot term in the street, classical liberal. Right, right. And so, yeah, the idea of getting rid of slavery, I mean, for the, for the 18th century, that, you know, especially amongst, you know, sort of Western cultures like that, that was a, I don't want to say novel, but out there idea. 
Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> there was still plenty of slaving going on. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Britain was still colonialism. Doing it. It was was definitely, yeah, colonialism was running on rampant. The <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's just, and I know, uh, and everyone loves to talk about well, like British shut, Britain shut it down. Like, in like I, I think it was the early eighteen hundreds. Yeah, something like that. They just shut it down in Britain. They definitely didn't have a problem with it abroad. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of the conversation is like a realization of a history lesson that like we never learned and feeling like you kind of got gaslit about what American history really is. And I think it's a lot of people going, holy shit, look at all these things and trying to sort them out. And there definitely is some weird responses about yeah, and, and it's everything totally, about America's slavery or whiteness. So it's like, and it's totally on. fine to say, yeah, guys, like, yeah, obviously some shitty stuff happened. Like almost everything with the native Americans was terrible. All kinds of horrific atrocities and right. a ton of horrific stuff happened with African-Americans in those days. And obviously, obviously, and we should talk about that and that should all be acknowledged and that should be something that's well understood. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It hasn't been taught yeah, or learned. Yeah. You know, and it's certainly not well understood. Yeah. But. And it's a, a, a again, a terrible way of phrasing it, but these are the bumps in the road of trying to figure out a better way to do things and trying to establish yourself and trying to trying to like you're figuring things out and it's not to say that that justifies it it's not to say that this should have been like like well this is just the way it was no it's not just make it okay but that is what happened and we fit and we're figuring it out and we're learning from it and we're being better as a society because that's what you do you make mistakes and you try and become better mm-hmm. that's how it works the disturbing thing too that no one wants to talk about is you have to make trade-offs like things can't just be good like you can't just make a decision that is only good for everything and like you're saying before like you know there's a trade-off about when you push for ending slavery and apple makes a trade-off about do we make iphones for everyone or do we not have child labor in our supplies (laughs) and everyone who buys an iphone makes a trade-off saying i'd rather have an iphone than yeah, not, <laughs> like some nine-year-old yeah. enjoying and, his Saturday at home. And right. we definitely don't always look for the the optimal trade-off where we <laughs> minimize the bad and still get what we want. But and that was that was the best part about the start of the pandemic. Everyone's saying, "Well, no, like this is like shutting down the, the work. If we if we can save one human life, it's worth it." <laughs> Nothing in our life is assessed on if we can save yeah. one human life, it's worth it's it. Not how trade-offs work. Everything. Yeah. In society, like flying on planes, driving, driving your cars. cars, the speed limit, it's all assessed on what's the optimal range of, like, what, where is our acceptable death toll, more or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just kind of arbitrary until someone cares about it or, you know, gets everybody yeah. riled up about changing it. Yeah. And that's, it's, and that's a, it's a well understood thing. I mean, like, policy is driven by it. Yeah. And we're at, and when a pandemic happens, we're having legitimate government figures saying shit like that. Like that's just insanely idiotic. Not not to say that all like lives aren't valuable, but everything in society is built on the concept of there's a point. There's a point at which these people dying, whoever they are, yeah, is it's more beneficial for society to be able to operate like this than those people for whatever reason, that, that they might still be alive. No, it's true. If you want right. electricity, people are going to die. Yeah. Like, it's just true. Like, thousands or tens of thousands of people will die every year yeah. from generating electricity. Mm. 
Yeah, it's because, like, you know, if you wanted to go, like, full authoritarian, like, you know, did Kim Jong-un, you know, or not Kim Jong-un, is it Kim Jong-un right now? Kim Jong-un's the current one. Yeah. Kim Jong-il, I think, was the dad. Yeah. yeah. Did uh, un killing, you know, COVID-19 positive people save a life? Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Does that mean it was a great idea? I don't think so. Did he just enjoy shooting people with an anti-aircraft gun because he likes doing it? Probably. Right. <laughs> what a fucking psycho. Uh, yeah, that's just... I mean, that's just... You could probably have a whole podcast episode just about North Korea by itself. Well, that's where... I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we could launch into every... All the all the current all the shitheads in the world. countries. Yeah, and, and Russia probably, but... <laughs> They're in Asia. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Are they, though? Because, like, if their capital is technically in Europe and isn't the most of their population in yeah, Europe? Yeah, I think. Are yeah, they more European or are they Asian? And it's kind of where it's kind of like where you talk about, like, what is the Middle East? Right. Like, it's it technically like, Asia, but it's closer to Africa and Europe. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> oh, man. I love... Oh, we, <laughs> We we talked a little bit about uh, like Israeli and Palestine issues last <laughs> week, Sean or Nick. What do you think of it? Do you have any Do you have any hot takes you'd like to uh, put out there? You know, to be fully honest, I have to confess this is an issue I'm not terribly knowledgeable on, and and with you know sort of the recent flare My up man. of this conflict. That was our conclusion too. That was like, basically that was exactly what we said. Is like how people should be discussing this. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, because uh, how does everyone have a goddamn opinion that yeah. like everyone thinks that they've got all the information and they should be on one side staunchly or the other? Yeah, it's and and like I don't know, you know. For me, I've always been a bit uninterested in international affairs. Like, and I guess to be fair, there is some history of, of Western nations, you know, kind of creating and and putting up Israel. But aren't we at a point now where just Israel and Palestine should just figure this out on their own and neighboring na- Isn't this kind of a, a Middle East issue and not a global issue? I, and maybe I misunderstand something, but for me, I just don't see it as an international issue. Yeah, I don't... And, and, until until we see, like, bona fide genocide going on, which I... Oh, my God, I would... I can't imagine the amount of people that would yell at me that there's genocide happening probably both ways. <laughs> well, they don't make the top 10 list. Yeah. Like until, until we've got like bona fide genocide going on, then it's probably a time for inner, like if, if you can't stop another country from killing all of your people for the sake of their, your people, I think there is an international responsibility to probably step in to help or to like, even if we're not like militarily, like, sanctioning the fuck out of the country that's doing that you know sure but so i think i think there's some international responsibility in moments like that but i don't know both these sides do shitty stuff to each other like they both suck right and i i generally find myself pro israeli in the sense of i like that you can be christian or gay and not like and you can sell land to arabic people like selling land to a jew in gaza has the opportunity to be a death sentence. Yeah, there's certainly um, uh, one is a little bit more culturally and economically free. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I guess I see a lot more Western ideals reflected in Israel, and I do think that that's that's something that I can generally get behind. But well, again, yeah, they both these guys do shitty stuff. I don't know. I don't fucking know how to decide where this starts or where the atrocities started. Like, I mean, obviously, there's not impossible. There's not gonna be yeah. yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, and we're talking about we have such issues with colonialism today. Jews were there way before anybody else. <laughs> so they're just yeah. kind of going home. Like yeah. we, we more or less sent them back. <laughs> it doesn't sound as nice when you say it like that. Like, right, <laughs> right, you know right. what I mean, though. Like, like we're just kind of like, oh well, that is that is where you guys are from. So go get take it back. You know, we're, we were glad we were able to help you out with that Nazi problem and stuff, but uh, yeah, you guys are causing a few too many issues in Europe. So how about we all put you back where you belong? <laughs> I think your vacation, I think your European vacation's over. <laughs> this one came to an end. Like, <laughs> we had a lot of fun, got into some crazy times, but I think it's time to go home. Oh, yeah, it doesn't sound as benevolent that way, does it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of true, I think. I think that's the, the right way of looking at it. Like, we have such issues with colonialism, and we're just, when we just told them, go home, and we said, we'll, we'll help you go home, if so that's like, what you want. Sort of like reverse colonialism. Yeah, it's and, and so I don't I don't know I don't know where I'm supposed to feel as as a as a individual trying to thrive in a woke society. Where am I supposed to fall on the colonial issue with with Israel? I think as we said, it's just fine to not care. You don't yeah. have to have the right opinion about every single topic. Oh, but you do. Like you don't have time. To, oh, but they do. They do. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I For me, it, it, I just don't know if it'll ever interest me. Yeah, to your point, Brett, if we start hearing about something crazy, you know, like genocide, but honestly, even if we do hear about genocide, like, I feel like historically as a species, we don't have a great track record of intervening on genocides just because of that genocide. Like, honestly, like... World War Two with you know Nazis. Rwanda, whoops. Missed that one, yeah, guys. Right. Missed that one. Let right. that one slip by. Yeah. And, like, World War II with Nazis, I think, A, most of the war, we didn't even know about it. And then, B, I think by the time we did know about it, we had pretty much well been at war for many other reasons. And we just kind of tacked that onto the list. Like, oh, yeah, we're stopping a genocide, I guess, too. Yeah, I think there were, yeah, I think there were fears of it happening. There was a lot of denial yeah, going on. Yeah, exactly. And there was just a lot of, like, our heads buried in, especially the United yeah. States, head buried in sand was 1937 through 1941. But... Mm-hmm. It's and yeah, there is a lot of well, they're far away. We don't want this to be happening, you know. We don't want to get involved because it's not our war. And then, uh, then long come the Japs, <laughs> well, fucking up, fucking up the program for the Axis. Yeah, they did change the game a little bit. <laughs> you awoke into the beast. Yeah, they were pretty savage about it. But maybe, maybe our solution should be to just hack Israel and Palestine. Maybe that's the. Ooh. The war fighting strategy of the 21st century that will reign supreme. I mean, just that's take equality. over. No, the, the the thing that would happen there is we would hack Israel and Palestine. So now Israel's Iron Dome doesn't work, and now Gaza's just launching homemade rockets left and right at them. Oh God! <laughs> and that's and that's the other thing that like everyone's talking about. Um, everyone loves to talk about how Israel like like they're bombing civilian buildings, and then everyone will, well. Gaza puts terrorists in the buildings. No one talks about, no one likes to talk about how many Gazan missiles landed short and killed Gazans because <laughs> oh they are, God. they're making this shit out of like fertilizer and a, and a cardboard pipe, basically. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the whole thing is going to be so inappropriately covered no matter where you go to try and find information on it that it's almost impossible. Yeah, it's, 
finding inappropriate coverage in our society today is kind of wild. I don't know about you guys, but I have found myself... Uh, and I want to be careful with saying this because I don't want to sound like ignorant or nothing. But Don't be. Don't I've be. Fa- Let it fly. <laughs> I found myself being more happy with being less informed. I very much narrowed down which oh, news sources I'm willing to read. And I try to limit how much news I read. Because, yeah, there's just so much out there. And I think just news is almost... It's just so heavily opinion these days that it's just like... You can, you know, run around in circles forever and not be sure which way to stand, you know, which which side of the uh, aisle or argument to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I generally agree with that, that I think you're happier once you step away from the information overload that is yeah. so prevalent today. No doubt. Yeah, I love that opinion, Nick. <laughs> I've definitely taken somewhat the same approach, although some of it is kind of like a sadistic. A hundred percent. That's exactly what I do. Look, like being on Twitter is sadism. And I think it is, I think most news is just entertainment for people in a lot of ways. Like there are a lot of people who like to be informed, but I think a lot of, most people just kind of don't care that much. And most people use it just to find a reason to hate someone else. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to learn? Like I'm only watching MSNBC today so I can know what the libs are talking about so I can own them online. Like (laughs) we, we, we do so much to hate watching all this idiotic stuff in trying to find reasons to hate other people that are so dumb that are so far from your just everyday ordinary person because you're only seeing extreme things being covered because mm-hmm. normal people don't really do that crazy of things because they're normal yeah yeah and and Brett I know this is an opinion you generally disagree with but I'm gonna I'm a put it out there you know if okay. not you know if for anything maybe just for argument's sake but not for nothing you know just more and more, especially with 2020. I think 2020 was a big catalyst for uh, culturally and politically. Uh, we are, if we're not getting further apart, we're at least getting more confrontational. And, sure. you know, we're, we're at least getting better about looking for and finding reasons to be angry at and fight each other upon. And I, I, would, I would probably say my stance has changed a little bit on that. Like, I... Have long been a believer that your middle is is like the ninety percent in the middle, with the five percent on either side, is right. pretty damn similar. But I think with the advent of a twenty four hour news cycle, many, 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 many moons ago, and then the ability for people to echo these idiotic ideas in places where like I don't know I don't know half the places I don't know any of the places where a lot of these things are said or done Uh but they're all in places where you get a lot of hive minded mentality and if someone stumbles upon it and they buy in a little bit then you're also in the hive and it's not in a place that's public enough where like like I would just stumble upon it and then like maybe go to go to war in the forums, you know, like debate <laughs> the, these idiotic ideas. But <clears throat> I think the ability for people to get together, like like-minded people to get together where years ago, like, I don't know, the Unabomber didn't have friends because he couldn't find <laughs> any probably. Like today, the Unabomber probably gets a whole slew of Reddit oh, followers, sure. you know what I mean? Or four yeah. or eight chan or four chan or whatever, whatever chan we're on now. <laughs> but 
I think it's so much it's so much more accessible to people that are like crazy people have so much more access to other crazy people. And then the news loves to make people hate each other and to act like the other, like, I don't know, someone who doesn't agree with this must be crazy. That I do think you're, we're probably losing the fringes, like the, the five and 10% that were close to the radical 5%, but we're still more normal before are probably definitely shifting more towards the outer ridges of radical than they are towards the inner series of middle. Sure. Because sure. of the way arguments and conversations are framed, which I think are absolutely insane and irresponsible generally. But yeah, yeah so I would is... say I've, I've definitely changed on that a little bit over time. Sure. Okay. Well, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. And I liked, you know, kind of some of the last points you were making there, just in terms of moderation. Uh, not moderation is not the right word for it. Moderateness, for lack of a better word, in politics does seem like a bit of a, a dying art. And, you know, to your point about argument styles, it does feel like if you start discussing politics with somebody or hearing a political discussion, it just so very quickly gets to, you know, you're a, you're a bad person. You're not an American. You're not a yeah. patriot if you... You know, you you burn in hell. You know, it's... we've decided we've decided to attach morality to so much of day to day conversation, and it's insane. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck? Like, if you think being a Republican or being a Democrat makes you morally superior than someone who just disagrees with you on political issues, you're an idiot. Right. Like that's right. a dumb way of looking at things. Mor- morals. I'm not going to say it has no place in politics, but morality should be kind of determined more on an individual's actions than than on political opinion. You Most know, certainly. Most more certainly. so than it is now, at least. We have, And I have no idea why that person is voting the way that they're voting. It might be so many people are single-issue voters. Mm-hmm. So few people are voting on the entire, like, the entire ticket, the entire platform, because that's what they want. They want the whole thing implemented. Right. Versus so many of us, like, I don't know, me, a lot of things I'm going to vote on are things that are going to affect my pocketbook. Right. Because that's what I, that's what I care about right now. Or things that affect, like, a personal liberty, because that's what I care about right now. Mm. Like, I, I don't really fucking care what the, what the, the governing body of Denver, like, whatever this council is, is doing, for the most part. I don't really fucking care who the members are. As long as I don't want them to have more power, which was something I was on the ballot last time. (laughs) (laughs) But, this city's wild, man. Everything that I think is bad passed pretty much, but it's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously cities in general, you know, typically very, uh, um, you know, left-leaning politically. Uh, but then obviously dumb. when you're when you're out west, that gets ramped up a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because so much there's so much discrepancy in the west, like. If you, if you go two hours north of where I am right now, they would probably tell you that every single person who lives in Denver is an idiot. Probably. Like, Wyoming is so close. And they would tell you that every single moron south of them is a moron. And that's why you see things like, you know, the uh, it might have already died out already, but there was a uh, brief political movement for greater Idaho. You know, no, it's not dying out. Nick, 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 there's good it's news. It's not dying out? <laughs> this is Nick. No, it's expanding. Oh. Ooh, okay. In the last in the last three weeks, uh, five counties that had it on their agenda to discuss exploration passed it. 
Five more Ooh. counties have. Uh, so I think it brought the total to seven. I've now passed uh, exploratory committees looking into joining Idaho in Oregon from Oregon. I honestly, I love that. The only thing I would maybe love more about it is we somehow figured out how to create a fundamental power change such that counties were more independent um, uh, or had more of their own power. But, yeah, I mean, because, you know, I think think when you were away taking – you know, taking your uh, taking your break there, Brett. Sean and I were talking a bit, and you know, we made some tongue in cheek comments about you know House of Representatives, and you know, are are they representative of the people or not? And you know, I think for a lot of rural Californians, a lot of rural Oregonians. Yeah. Uh, apologies to Oregon listeners if I goof that up, but I don't think they are being you know well represented by their state government, and definitely not by their senator. You know. Certainly, Certainly not, not by their senators. Oh, God, no. Like, that is the only way for these people to have a voice. And then, I, ah, that's it. We can, I love that. I love when people bitch about bicameral legislature because it, it seems so blatantly obvious to me why it's reasonable. And then people complain, like, well, think about the ratio. Like, a Wyoming still gets one person. When California only gets 52, is it 52 now? I think, I think they lost a seat then. I thought they yeah, had 53. Yeah, they lost one. Yeah. Well, now, and California only gets 52 now. Like, the ratio is just not right. Okay. Well, we can't do less than one. We can't do less than one for Wyoming. So why are we having this conversation? You want it expanded? You want it that much more expanded so that, the, again, the Wyoming person is that much less relevant again? And you do have if you to expand like, it to 700 seats so you can get your appropriate ratio in your <laughs> eyes, then you're really kind of de- de- destroying the purpose again. And at what point do you want or get, you know, sort of like a political mob rule where, you know, maybe population-wise, not so much, but certainly square footage-wise, you know, large swaths of the country are just being forgotten or not represented. And you almost get like a... Hunger Games, Capital City versus the, you know, districts type <laughs> yeah. uh, dynamic going. Yeah, and, and those people, the people that have such an issue with the ratio of people to house seat, uh, how do you feel about the senators? Like, right. Like, do you think any of the people in your in your state are being, all the people are being represented by their senators? Certainly not. So do you not care about those people at this point having their representation? I, I just think you end up in such a wildly hypocritical idea once you get down that rabbit hole because you don't really care about people's representation. You don't. You just want your side to have the power and to have and the best shot at having the power. Yeah, there's too much of that in American politics right now where, yeah, it's not about, you know, sort of the principle of the matter. But, you know, we're almost sort of at like a bit of a political war right now. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. But we can we can switch up and do something a little more fun if you want. I've got a couple hypotheticals that I think are uh, entertaining. All right. Okay. All right. So first and foremost, this is a this is an oldie but a goodie. Nick, if I was to hand you, and now we can tie in your stats knowledge. If I was to hand you a revolver that had a one hundred round uh, cylinder on it, Whew, big boy. And for every round you put in, I'll give you a million dollars, but you have to play Russian roulette with it. How many would you put in, and would you like the opportunity to put the rounds where you see fit? 
<laughs> not that you can play games with the weight, like, you know, like put it all on one side. So that's sure. always down, you know? Sure. I mean, so I'll kind of answer the second question first. I don't think it matters whether I put the rounds in. Well, know, let me think about this for a second. At a low number. I guess if I was like, put 50 in there, then maybe <laughs> you can, you know, try and lean them all on one side and hope that more. But no, really, because in the end, it's all no. the same. I know it is all the same, so, but and, and we both know on a matter. base level it's the same. But at the same time, I kind of want—I kind of want to say in where those are going. I kind of want no, that. No, you know what? I, I'm going to put my statistician hat on here and and put my Hell foot yeah. down. I'm trying to think about, but I don't think it matters where they go. That's I, right. I, I, down yeah, too. it doesn't. But I at the same time, goddamn, being psychologically I, weak enough to psychologically. Sean, this is my life. <laughs> this is my life. Well. Sean's too much of a pussy to put 20 rounds in. Yeah, definitely. You know what? That makes Sean and I both some pussies. I'm definitely going less than 20. That's for sure. We're going real low on that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you um, can always... But, okay, so what's real low? Because I think the right answer is probably like three to five, but... Yeah, or lower than that. I don't know. It's a good question I of, like, I don't think how much you value life. I, two million is yeah, significantly different than five million. I don't think so. I don't think it changes oh. that much. I don't. I don't understand how we're having this conversation just based on what five million is as a percent of two million. But it's not the percent. Like your life's not that different if you're a billionaire or have ten million dollars. Like, again, I think your life is significantly different. Uh, well, materially, certainly. Yeah. But yes. I, guess, like, I don't. Sure. I don't own a yacht if I'm a ten Fine. millionaire. I own a but yacht if I'm get- a billionaire. You still get pretty much independence, and you can pretty much retire for the rest yeah, of your life, exactly. whether you have ten million or a billion. And you get the thing, but really two million value. versus five million does make that different for me. Two million doesn't necessarily mean that million? I retire tomorrow. Two million, you can retire. No, tomorrow. two five million means I've got three million to invest, and two million just fuck around with for the rest of my like my time until I want to go into my investments. Wow. That's how you want to play it. I I would play it. <laughs> One million. I mean, you could. I could retire on one million. I need a lake house and a boat, Sean, and those things aren't cheap. Let me ask you this, Brett: How are you going to spend your five million if you're dead? Uh-huh. Uh, I, and that's where. And that's where. I don't care. It's not a concern of mine because I'm dead. Well, I mean, like you should care. As a friend, I just want to say you should care about being alive. A bit of a nihilist in in that regard. In this hypothetical. <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna come in with my answer to the question is two. I, I think it okay. just is. I think I can retire off that. I will take a two percent shot at death, um, and yeah, more than willing to play Russian roulette there. I think three to seven is where I'm at. I think three to seven is probably where I'd find myself in the moment. But I also, just as a gambling man, don't really have an issue with an eighty twenty chance at twenty million. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking like, I don't know, slots, sure. But your life, dude. <laughs> your life. And like, I don't know, you're a man of religion, right? How are you going to explain to St. Pete, you know, I need you to let me into heaven even though I died because I gambled with my own life. I'm a level with you, Pete. Listen to this. Listen to this chance. <laughs> a life-changing opportunity. Yeah. I know you guys talked a lot about how important being rich is. So right. I wanted to shoot my shot. Right. Yeah, what, what? It's easier to get into heaven as a... Poor... Yeah, poor. as a... It's, what is it? it? Yeah. It's harder to get into heaven as a rich man than it is to get a camel through the eye of the needle. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but Pete, come on. (laughs) Never tried to thread that hole? (laughs) You get one shot. 
Pete, one, yeah. only one in five times I died. So for the, the, in, in the four other iterations going on in alternate universes, I'm rich as fuck. And I'm donating a lot to charity. <laughs> yeah, I, you know I'm building a nice church. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to lie to say people yeah, I'm up there. Yeah, lie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a good question, though. It's a good question. Uh, it's a, I, the, I think it's a fun one because it's interesting. I had fun with it just imagining the size of a hundred round revolver. I mean, <laughs> I that's know. pretty much a hand cannon at that point, right? A hundred percent. So, yeah, your death is quick and painless. <laughs> Sign me up for 20. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't really have an issue. I don't think I'd have too big of an issue with it until you get past, like, 30. Because then it just feels like you kind of want to die. I've amazed that you haven't even considered the number zero at all <laughs> like that is just like <laughs> it seems like a i'm not walking away from the chance at a 99 to one i get a million dollars yeah that's those are really good odds if you had I mean, everyone like, do it that's a lot of dead people fuck them good or so probably probably as is <laughs> oh wow I just, I don't know. I, uh, I have no qualms with a ninety-nine to one, and that's, and that's maybe Sean. Sean very much disagrees with gambling as an enjoyable pastime, but like, there's no opportunity you'll ever get in life where you would have a ninety-ten on making ten million dollars. Sure. Like, like no, but also like. In a casino, you lose, and it's just like, oh, I have less money than I did before, and I can walk away. Whereas, like, in this hypothetical situation, you lose quite literally everything. But in a casino, you'd never get fair odds either. Yeah. And this is straight up, this is what we're this is what we're playing for. This is why we play the game. I've got huge money on a negative bet in the sense of, like, this would be a money line. This is a money line, like, Federer playing Serena type bet. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I get $10 million for it. No, I get it. And I'm not anti... I do my fair share of gambling in the stock market. I don't uh, think the, there's anything the, else to the, call it. The, uh, the elitist version of gambling. He's, yeah. not, he's not a man of the people. I, I like I like odds in my favor rather than odds. Yeah, and now, and now we see the shift from old socialist, uh, socialist Sean to, uh, I don't know, money yeah, market, needing all the money. <laughs> it's just Wall like Street you can't even put me in a box. <laughs> It's almost like you're an individual and you don't fit. <laughs> but, okay, so, I, th- I mean, two million, yeah, it's a safe bet, Then you, and you just got life-changing money. Yeah. Oh, And it's obviously tax-free, because I don't do hypotheticals right, right. on taxes. That's Fuck dumb. that. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what government would sanction such event and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> One that I love. On One that I am a fan of. <laughs> If Bezos was allowed to do this, that would be electric. That'd be the highest rated TV show of all time. If Bezos was to do this, you think people would want to see Bezos make more money? No, no. If Bezos was to just throw his money at people almost shooting themselves. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Um, He learned a lot about his personality. Oh, God. Jeez. Have to be internet pay per view. That's for sure. <laughs> this is this is just one of those things where it's like, be on YouTube. like to have unlimited money. I might go to a country and try this. You know what I mean? <laughs> what your, country will allow me to do it? Your entertainment are just sick to me. <laughs> I'm a gladiator guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My forms of entertainment disgust. Sean. Just that is self hate on the internet. A lot of just psychological torture. 
uh, a lot the of people die and a lot of gambling. <laughs> I feel like I'm like one of the slavers in Game of Thrones, like talking about how the pits are positive for yeah, the people right. fighting in the pits. Sure, sure. This is the only chance they have to do something with their lives. <laughs> Let the poor try, Sean. That's the motto. Let the poor try. That's America's motto, I thought. Talk about a get-rich-quick scheme. With some risk. But, you know, and and I don't know. I don't... It'd be, it'd be, it'd be an interesting show to put out there because it's obviously horrific and you can't really have it as a TV show. But also, at the same time, like, I'd be, I'd be very intrigued as to what numbers of Americans would watch something like that. Well, so how serious do you want to get into this discussion just in terms of this as an actual show? Because, I mean, like, if it were to be a show, it would probably have to be a business, which means it would probably have to be somewhat profitable, which means they probably wouldn't allow one or two as an option. You know, it's probably yeah. 10 plus. They're but that's, very, yeah. Mm. Well, that's where, yeah, you get the best ratings, but that's where, that's where, that's where your contestant selection is key. See, I don't think it matters that much. Like, if they're putting lower bets, you can just get more of them in. And, like, higher bets, I think it's still the same payout, right? Because it's linear odds. Well, but also there's no payout. There's no payout in the positive side because all we're paying out in the, like, for business side is you're shooting someone in the head. So there's no, like, there's no you're putting up a million to play the game. It's, oh, no, no, no. It's we're killing you. If, if, or we're either paying you a, a large sum of money or we're going to kill you. Like, there's no... It's them killing themselves, you know, just That's for right. publicity's sake. <laughs> amen, amen. It, you, we, you, we all got choices. <laughs> yup. Yup. Everybody oh, got man. choices. I choose to get money. I'm making this bread. And that's, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fascinating. So you'd see how fucked up of a society we are real quick if something like that was allowed to happen. That'd be something. That'd be something. <laughs> okay, so hypothetical number one, <laughs> firmly in the books. Uh, and then the next one that we were discussing last night, would you rather give up sex or die in six months? Uh, you know what? You know what? I'll put out the hot take. I don't think this is that difficult of a decision. And and again, you know, almost kind of like the last one, it depends on how much you value life, which I, you know, very much value life and um, uh, know how to simulate sex. So I'll give up sex. See, Nick, 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 you and you and me, buddy, we are uh, we are much more aligned than these other psychopaths in the apartment. Apparently. <laughs> so I was like, God, like. Like we got down, we got down to when we were asking twenty four hours, dying twenty four hours, or give up sex, and we're still like, and this is a debate. Twenty four hours? I mean, I don't think there was much debate. But no, there wasn't much pushback. There was twenty four hours. Like five, I think five years was the number where yeah, that's, some people were scratching their heads. And that was the hard part where I was trying to designate like the the what what's going to be the most appropriate time for Nick to to uh-huh. answer. Five years makes me think more, but then, it, you know, because then you get this whole interesting dynamic of, like, are you willing, like, how worth, <clears throat> how much value does those five years have if, you know, for me personally, I just wouldn't be able to help changing my life to be sort of sex-centric. I'd be like, all right, <laughs> yeah. well, I've got these five years, got to have as much sex as possible. Like, is I that going to be up, as... I got to wake up, get a whorehouse. <laughs> right. I'm right. getting every experience in <laughs> 
is that as fulfilling as you know the lives we would all live without sort of that outside influence yeah like it's, it's like a player like it's like your average added value you know like mm. like if you're looking at it's like it's like the war of life you know yes yes <laughs> like what is my wins above this. replacement at five years with sex versus my wins above replacement some total the rest of my life <sighs> right or even just within value. those five years you and know, also there's something be be, there's something that we didn't discuss last night to be said for we all might die in five years just cause mm, so how far out chance. do you project that like I don't know I might only have 40 left I don't know yeah, you don't know to me it's pretty for me it's a no brainer I'll give up sex for basically the rest of my life it, yeah average American the, lifespan is like what 76 right so I feel like I'm gonna live hey, and, and going for down recently white, right but for affluent white men Probably quite a bit higher. Affluent, he says affluent yeah. white man when he says he's going to retire on a million. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> That's pretty fucking affluent. I was going to say, especially globally, a million globally, is super you're in affluent. Top like point one percent. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm go- where am I going to move to enjoy my? I'm in the point one percent. The backwoods of China, along the Yangtze River, where I'm the richest <laughs> man around. Fuck uh, that. No, I want to be rich in America, where it's the best to be rich. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Different folks. I want to go up to, like, the Amalfi Coast and tell people with their yacht to go fuck themselves because my yacht's bigger. <laughs> you tell me, that you, like... would be a great life. What about, like, a... What about, like, a Mexico or, like, a Costa Rica? You wouldn't want to, like, retire and, like, you certainly wouldn't be, like, you know, in a struggling country. Like, you'd, you'd be living a, a somewhat comparable life to what you're living in the States, but you're also, like, set for life. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely much more reasonable, uh, but I just kind of I mean, and I've spent very little time in many other countries. Mexico is definitely the country I've spent the most time in. But then I was in Guatemala for two weeks, and mm-hmm. you know when when you get there and <clears throat> the bus you're taking's bus driver got shot like three days before you got there in the chest because oh, they were yeah. robbing the bus. It does feel a little different than America. <laughs> so yeah, that's a little tough. Well, you're the one talking about all the people getting shot near you in Denver, so... (laughs) Well, I haven't been shot yet. And and again, shootings only happen between, like, 3 a.m. and 5.30. Uh So if I avoid that window... (laughs) Wait, you're telling me I'm not supposed to go to a foreign country, get drunk, and go out by myself late at night? Is that what you're trying to say? I I mean, I'm not telling you what to do with your life. I think you That sounds like a fun evening. I I did do it once, and I did manage to not get robbed and had a really great time, so... Hell yeah. That's what we, my friend Maddie was just telling me that she was like out in Baltimore until 4 a.m. And I was like, good God. You've got bigger stones than I do, so I'll tell you what I'm not doing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Sean and I as fans of The Wire, I think, have, you know, you know, certain opinions of the uh, crime rates in Baltimore. <laughs> it's so funny because one, Sam, one of Sam's best friends loves Baltimore so much. And I think she's a crazy person. For it. Like, yeah. I totally understand loving the place that you're from. Like, I, I love Wisconsin. I, it, I, it's my favorite state in the union. And I will go to war for that. And I will tell every fib that they're a fib and every mud duck that they're a mud duck. And I was idiots out walking around, you know. But, <laughs> but if, I, if I, you were telling me, if you're telling me stories about women disappearing that they think were thrown into the bay, I'm good. I'm good as a young woman in this city. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It sounds like maybe we got to plan a little trip out to Baltimore, you know, yeah, to know for sure. Out. 
Amen. Amen. I think we should. Speaking of The Wire, I finally got Brett to watch the first Ooh. episode and a few yeah. more. Although we were mostly almost certainly. off asleep. Yeah, yeah. But, no, almost so, certainly asleep. But not sure we got him hooked, but we'll see. I, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued. But even bigger news, Sean's laughing at Sonny now, even though he says he's never going to watch again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's worth the watch, Sean. I, I think you gotta, you know, it's, um... I suppose it is a bit more of a, a an ignorant type of humor that I think Brett and I usually consume a bit more often than you do. But uh-huh. you know, sometimes you gotta mix things up a bit in life. You do, and that's where and that's where I've been. Like we were watching episodes that are just like <clears throat> funny with a little bit more of a message. Like, sure. uh, um, what was it? The gang turns black. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did the gang turns black. Then we watched. Uh, Hero or hate crime? Yeah, hero. <laughs> that one might be my favorite. That one might be my favorite. <laughs> so good. And then, and then, because he always talks about how much he hates the character of Charlie, we had to watch Charlie work. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Also a great Charlie. one. No, I don't hate Charlie. I just he has a new appreciation for him. Okay, okay. I do, I do now, <laughs> and I haven't seen that many episodes. He's just always I, a lot of them. I see just like. He just says things so stupid the whole time that you just, I don't know, it's hard to to not have a negative association sure. with him. Sure. His illiteracy bit, that's a good, I was watching a YouTube compilation of all his illiteracy jokes throughout the show, and that's a great bit. What do you think's behind that door that's marked pirate? <laughs> I see a door marked private. Are you Can you not read? <laughs> I turned the sign on here to let everybody know we got ice cold Coors inside. It says closed. <laughs> and that's where I just, I genuinely do think that it's one of the best shows ever created, especially of like the comedy variety. Sure. If we're talking about the comedy genre, it's got to be up there. Um, I mean, the longevity and the ability to take on still like very serious things in a pretty reasonable way mm-hmm. that are still wildly funny like all the gun episodes are hilarious oh god <laughs> gun fever 2 it's still too hot just all the times frank's gun came into play it was great uh, yeah and i i don't know i just think it's i have always thought it's so well done like yeah they obviously appeal to just the saying ridiculous shit uh, that I love. I love the the ignorant aspect of a lot of things, but then there's enough really in reasonable, intelligent commentary sprinkled in in a lot of episodes that I've always just appreciated it for that as well. Sure. I agree with that. <laughs> Are you watching anything interesting lately? Um. So as Wayne's been watching through The Wire, I've been kind of re-watching that, but otherwise, no, I've been at a bit of a disconnect with television lately. The last, uh, the last show I think I faithfully watched through was Netflix's Cobra Kai. Mm. But mm. and I thought I watched it was the first good. season. Okay. I haven't gotten into the second one. I think if you have Netflix, I think it's very much worth watching, and I think it's good. But to kind of give you an idea of where I'm at with it, it's not good enough that like when my parents were asking like, "Do we still need a Netflix subscription?" I was like, "No, I, I don't think we do." <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. 
for me, yeah. you know, you could argue it's a TV show the way they kind of semi auto aim for you, and it's like ten hours of cutscenes. But uh, mm. I've been doing my second playthrough of Red Dead Redemption Two, which has been nice. Oh, nice. Are you enjoying? Yeah, yeah. So the only thing that's a little bit difficult for me, and this is going to be like, you know, I'm going to try and make this not sound like a horrible humble brag, but like, you know, my nope. first playthrough, Let it I rip. did the first playthrough I did high honor, right? And um, I was like, okay, for the second playthrough, I got to do low honor. But, you know, in order to do a low honor playthrough, you got to do low honor things. You got to shoot a horse in the head every now and then. You got to loot dead bodies. You got to say mean things to old people. And that's just tough for me to do, you know. <laughs> that's, it's funny that that's like, yeah, like you legitimately, like games like that and Grand Theft Auto, it's such a funny thing where like you really do get to see the human spectrum oh, of yeah. people that choose to engage with it. Right, right. Guys. I've done some horrible things in Grand Theft Auto. You definitely learned something about yourself. <laughs> I go to the club, I throw some money on you, I, sh- I take you home, shoot you in the head, and take the money. <laughs> Wait, is that, are you not supposed to do that? I don't know, I thought that's how hookers worked. Right, right. She's a whore. That was the deal. She's a whore. The best <laughs> whore I've ever had. Whore. I do like how that's how uh, uh, Frank always says that. Whore. Yeah, I don't know, it's just... Uh, it's interesting because I think and I think Sonny's maintained a lot of things for me in a way that like they will still do comedy in a way that a lot of things won't at least in a like mm-hmm. nationally nas- nationwide uh, broadcast setting you know right. and the idea that they've been allowed that freedom is incredible from FX but mm-hmm. yeah yeah although it's a shame though because like you know now since a lot of television consumption is done you know sort of outside of television like, it's nice that FX gives them that freedom, but then, you know, Hulu, Netflix, you know, does not really give them that freedom. They're not airing every episode of the show. Yeah, because they, they've like, ripped any episode that had blackface, right? Right, I believe so, which is an interesting dynamic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sonny's blackface was, like, also D being Tina Martinez or Taiwan Tammy, you know? Like... <laughs> I think I got to, when I was watching through the show last year on Hulu, I think I, you know, the first couple of seasons, I was able to see some of the blackface episodes before Hulu followed Netflix's uh, deal, if you will. Uh, But I never saw Taiwan Tammy. I've never seen Taiwan Tammy. Taiwan Tammy is, she's special. D with her accents is concerning. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, and that's, we were watching Key and Peele last night. Okay. Because, I mean, there's one Key and Peele episode in season one that has uh, Das Negros and the Slave Auction in it. Ooh, yeah, that's a heavy hitting episode. So, two of the all-time episodes. But it's just, it's hilarious that both shows are kind of like, like, you know, just, just comedy style shows. Obviously, one's sketch versus one's more like sitcom-ish. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, we're allowing whiteface in Dos Negros. Mm. And I would never raise a stink about it because I would hate to see Dos Negros disappear from my life uh, in a I can watch on anything other than YouTube setting. But right, right. it is it's a little interesting. It's yeah. And I mean, it's just I don't know. It's, you know, the the cultural tensions only being applied in certain ways and, and in certain uh, uh, contexts, I guess, if you will, which I agree, very interesting mm-hmm. to see play out. Not surprising at all. 
or necessarily wrong. Yeah. Yes and yeah. no. It feels a I, little. I like, guess I think it's, I think it's definitely wrong in the sense of you're not, but like, you aren't treating everything equally. Yeah. And you and I and reflecting on like our conversation last night about how I've always felt that the way that we stop caring about differences by people is we stop talking about the differences between people. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's like like cuz I think Nick you and I have probably had this conversation where like like we used to hate like Irish, Catholics, Jews, like right. like Polish people, like Polacks and mix and you know and right. I'm not going to go with the K word for the Jews, but <laughs> Mick is, I think, a little more socially acceptable to say than uh, the kite word, but with a different letter in the, in the as the third as the three hole. But sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> the three hole, okay, okay. <laughs> very different. But like, how do we stop caring about that as a society? Like, we stop deciding that Catholic was a reason to hate somebody, or that. You know, being Irish and having red hair was a reason enough to hate somebody. And, like, it it changed from our grandparents' time to our time. Mm-hmm. Like, my grandpa used to love a Polish joke. <laughs> yeah. It's just time. Time will have to pass. And I that's, and that's yeah. where, like, like, I think we're just forcefully imposing race to permanently be an issue by constantly making it a separator and not something that doesn't matter. Because it doesn't matter. Race is so irrelevant to our interactions with each other, or at least it should be. That should be the society we're striving to achieve. And by making it such a significant part and and saying your lived experience as a black person or as a white person means this, this, and this, when that's such an insane thing to say on a societal versus individual level. Like, that's a ridiculous claim to make. And constantly making those claims is never going to advance us to the point where race doesn't matter yeah it's i mean for me i think where it gets frustrating is you know uh i think this would fall under like critical race theory but just like the idea that like to teach a theory where like yeah because you are this skin color you live in a society that is designed to make you a lesser citizen and that's not to say that we live in this perfectly equal society but we also you know we're beyond the days of Plessy v ferguson you know we don't really have legal structure in place to you know put people down on account of the color of their skin and and that's the thing like we can like we just say we say things like well it's it's all under the surface now like it's all gone underground which Uh, well okay then let's let's talk about how positive of a thing that is 60 years ago, in the times of our parents, we had governors standing in front of a school to prevent integration. Yeah. And people cheering him on. Right. That would never happen, though. Is that not a very positive thing? We we had electoral college votes go to a segregation, poli- you know, a segregation platform politician. Uh, what would that have been about now? Is that 60 or no, like 55 years ago? Yeah, with Wallace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's and that's what I was talking about. Like like there are just just disgusting pictures of George Wallace at the front of the University of Alabama trying to prevent integration. Right. And, yeah. And people spitting on the kids walking into oh school. Like Right. Like can we not talk about how that's a very positive thing to have moved past? And if that is underground, like that is good. 
Right. That's, Even if it, you know. like, obviously any amount of that is bad, but the idea that they're not comfortable doing it in public because as a society, we don't allow that and we would have major issue with that, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit pessimistic here, but I think to some degree, you're never going to have, like, as long as there's, you know, billions of humans on the planet or, you know, hundreds of millions here in America, you know, there's going to be an unfortunate few who just are going to be racist. But, you know, to your point of your usage of the term of underground, if it's underground and we don't, you know, publicly, you know, and, and generally tolerate it, then, you know, should that, that seems be good? positive. Yeah, that seems like a, <clears throat> at the very least, a step forward. Yeah, and, and at that point, at the time that you're shoving all, forcing all this to be underground, you're making a more positive consistent public interaction with everyone better mm-hmm. like if it has to be underground then and they're not comfortable doing things in public for the we are going to berate you for the racist you are as a society that's good right <laughs> and it's just it's interesting that people don't want people i don't think want progress to be a thing that's discussed in this war in this department they oh, definitely don't not. want this to be something that's like you know what there have been some slight advancements in the last 60 years. Good news, unfortunately, does not sell. No. Right. That's how it always goes. It's always easier to see. I mean, that's even what we do most of the time on this podcast. Like, yeah. we talk about the things that are dumb and shitty. We don't 100%. talk about the things that are going well and you know, are getting better. And that's the other thing. Like, I don't know. What what, what things are going well, Sean? <laughs> I don't hear about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. It's... It's interesting. It's definitely interesting that, that, yeah, that's a fair, don't exactly practice what you preach. But just, I don't know. It just it just blows my mind that any, like, the idea of saying we've made progress. Apparently is negates, yeah, you know. The idea of saying we've made progress from anyone in this conversation's perspective, like having that conversation, is grounds for someone to say that we don't understand the, we don't understand the problems and then. Like we're just bigots that take advantage of being white, you know? Sure. That's and that's insane to me because it's so right. blatantly obvious that we have made progress as a society. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing that's tough is usually progress is a, a macro thing, whereas the negative, you know, can be such a micro thing. Yeah. You know, because like I think you know, eight times I get you know articles about like here's you know some actual good news you know that's that's happened it's always like you know over the past 40 years you know i feel like the ones i commonly see are like violent crime has dropped a lot homelessness has you know dropped a lot um uh, but you know it's always like decades long trends if not centuries long trends yeah and that's all and it's all it's all things that need to be taken into and appreciated and considered when we're making these wildly bombastic claims mm. and that but yeah you're right that that's that's the things that people want to hear that's what's that's what's selling your book that's what's getting you into positions of political power that's what you know these things right. are what make the difference yeah you can't really get into political power by being like you know what things are pretty good right now that you yeah, guys drive let's just take a step back and appreciate what we got <laughs> yeah, maybe we do maybe we need to design you know technology or systems or new social media is that incentivize positive interactions and like talking yeah. about thing the good things instead of 
every single person, like literally, <laughs> rewarded for just being a shithead. Is you know, right. like Twitter is just like shitposting. This was yeah. bad, or it's like, or people just like retweeting someone else's like, I like your tweets. Yeah, I, I like this thread, or it's yeah. everyone's an idiot. <laughs> That's all of Twitter. <laughs> oh, it's a horribly toxic place. <laughs> Nick, did you have you heard anything about like uh, AOC's grandma in her house in Puerto Rico? Um, I think I've heard just a little bit. It's just the gist that you know, for a for a you know very wealth redistributive politician, it's an awfully nice place. No, so so what happened with her grandma? She yeah, like this. I I'm sure that that's probably what, where she lives in New York or wherever, but. What happened with her grandma was, like, in the last three days, uh, like, AOC tweeted something like, like, this is my abuela's house in Puerto Rico. Uh, and it's, it's like, it's a dump. Like, there's holes in the ceiling. Like, it, mm. it's got, like, a TV from, like, 1950 with more or less, like, a metal, those old metal lawn chairs uh, right. with, like, the vinyl strips going along it, um, in front sure. of it. And she's like, like, it's still hurricane damage because... You know, the government didn't do enough to, like, take care of its property in a commonwealth. And, uh, like, the obvious commentary on the lack of freedoms given to Puerto Ricans or whatever. Right. Uh, they voted not to be a state, not me. But, <laughs> but uh, the hilarious thing is, well, one, everyone kind of roasted her for, like, dude, you make, like, 150 grand a year just in salary from the, the government. Right. And I believe their salaries are tax-free. Ooh. I don't know if that's true, but I believe that's true. I think government officials get special rights in those regards. Jeez. Talk about something that changes the nature of income taxes. Yeah. So I, th- I think that that's, I think that that's true. Don't, don't necessarily quote me on that and probably look into it after, but so she makes 150 grand a year and they're like, okay, so you're letting your grandma live in squalor. Right. Like in Puerto Rico where that money is going to go further. Like that's an interesting decision. Right. But what then? The hilarious thing that happened next was, like, some of the guys at the Daily Wire, like like Ben Shapiro's uh, conservative mm-hmm. uh, news outlet, more or less, mm-hmm. they started a GoFundMe for AOC's abuela. Yo, that <laughs> killed him with kindness. The, the the GoFundMe's name was like Save AOC's Abuela's Ancestral Home. <laughs> And they raised over a hundred grand in ten hours. Amazing! Yeah, I love that. fucking rude. They raised over a hundred grand in ten hours. They're like, wow, it's pretty amazing what what private charity can do when government yeah. can't redistribute the funds very well. To make any argument about Puerto Rico's situation and say it's government not doing enough just blows my mind. I mean. That is one of the more government-controlled, you know... And, like, isn't the Jones Act the major issue of Puerto... Isn't that a major oh. issue of Puerto Rico? Oh, yeah. The, the way I knew Kamala Harris and Biden were, were BS, you know... I guess I knew it way before they got into the office, but very soon once they got into the office, they had to affirm their support for the Jones Act, and I was like, wow, I thought you were all about equity for black and brown people, but, you know... Yeah, when it, does not when fuck, it affects doesn't your, that mean that, like, everything... Like, you can't directly deal with Puerto Rico? It's so uh, an example I give is basically so it's like a maritime union protectionist bill 
And so anything that goes to island uh, U.S. territories, so I think it also hurts Hawaii Guam. pretty badly too, and I would imagine Guam, it has to touch the main 48. It has to touch the mainland. So like if you wanted to ship from, you know, some good examples would be like Japan to Hawaii by boat. You have to go take that boat, go past Hawaii, touch California, then go back to Hawaii or like from uh, <clears throat> Colombia to Puerto Rico. You got to go Colombia, past Puerto Rico, touch base in Miami, and then you can go to San Juan. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? But I, I don't know. Oh yeah, so so that was making some money off it. All of that, all of that was hilarious as an internet interaction. I mean, it's it's annoying in the sense of like this troll is ridiculous, but also at the same time, like "Eh, it's pretty funny. Oh, it's oh yeah, joke. But and and talk about like killing them with kindness and taking the high road. That's just such a great way to yeah 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 and yeah and like I said, I don't really care how charities dispense or for what reason. Like you got you raised a hundred thousand dollars for what is a seemingly good cause, an old woman in Puerto Rico having a reasonable house to live in. Right. Uh, but the next thing that happened was uh, members of AOC's family reached out to GoFundMe and said they wouldn't accept the funds. Wait. Yep. So all of the money was refunded. Can you imagine being that stubborn politically? Or so. So the question is like, yeah, are you are you just being stubborn and making your grandma live in squalor for fun, or were you trying to take advantage of a, a situation, claiming that your grandma's living like this when she's not actually, so you don't have to change it? Oh, okay. So okay. what what's going on? Hmm. Or it might just be like a legal thing. I don't know. <laughs> Why? Because that yeah, money, would have, to, that money would have to be stored in America before we could send it to Puerto uh, yeah, Rico right. first. Or, <laughs> <laughs> Accepting, but I don't know. It, it seems a little boneheaded. If I don't know, maybe that's where their morals come down. I don't like charity. I can do it. I can handle it myself. I've heard that phrase. It's the, I don't think it's I can do it myself. It's I think I'd rather take you. I'd rather I'd forcibly rather steal your money and oh, try and well. redistribute it that way because that's right. clearly more efficient. Right. And more benevolent too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and it's clearly yeah yeah it's all it's all good when the government's got their hands in it. Mm-hmm. That's never gone bad. No, no. No. I mean, just Venezuela is so prosperous right now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I build Super that oil based economy. Don't worry about it. Let let's let's see what happens. Uh, and we'll run from there. We're gonna take all the money from the people, put it in the government's hands, and you know they'll handle it. They'll take care of you. Bread lines aren't that bad. It's a nice you know, Saturday morning activity. The in the seventies when uh, Britain nationalized a lot of industries and they had just such a great economy throughout that decade, uh, it was just really wonderful. Just great, just grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I don't know, man. It's a uh, it's an interesting world that we live in, but it's just comical that these are the things that we discuss as a society in today's day and age. When like fifty years ago, there'd be no way of talking about a House representative's uh, grandma on a grand public scale for the most part. Mm-hmm. Certainly not just the house they live in in a foreign country, because I'm pretty sure in 1970 everyone would have said, who the fuck cares that your grandma lives in Puerto Rico still? Yeah, probably. Probably. The foreign country was clearly a, mis- uh, a misspoken well, thing, but more or less anyone, the same idea. Yeah, right. It wouldn't be on the internet and anyone can come interact with it. <laughs> yeah. And you want to talk about now that we've had our co- we had our conversation episodes ago about private charity versus um, 
private charity versus like governmental intervention and government redistribution of wealth, there's never been an easier time to apply private charity. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. Never been easier. You can send them Bitcoin. Yeah. Never been easier. Never been easier to, to have a better system work for us. And we're so far away from it. Yeah. <laughs> we, um... We just kind of as a species and as a society are kind of like imperfect. Like even when we kind of know we need to make changes, you know, we just, you know, get there kind of slowly, unfortunately. Yeah. But. We do. We struggle to lose weight when we know that's what we should do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. It's just, it, it just frustrates me because like I said, it, it usually comes down to for me, I view a lot of these things as conversations that have been had, debates that have been played out, and we're still grinding our gears, like tires spinning in the mud, trying to figure out issues, like trying to resolve, trying to recreate the wheel. Mm. When and it's not to say that the wheel was always perfect, like uh, like you know there there are still advancements to be made in tire tech, but we're sticking with the wheel, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like like people are people are so much more concerned with reinventing the wheel than advancing the rubber. I will uh, I'll give just a quick aside uh, quick aside to your example there and say a couple of weeks ago for the first time ever I saw like you know like those giant commercial lawnmowers where it's like the two handles for you know rotating yeah, or turning zero turns yeah massive right, zero right. turns yeah I saw my first like commercial uh, zero turn. Uh, with uh, airless tires a couple weeks ago, which was kind of fun. Airless tires are wild. Super it's, weird. It's such a big thing. I don't, when I'm at festivals working, like it's a lot of like forklifts and stuff and like bigger, yeah, forklifts or like skid steers or stuff mm-hmm. with airless tires, but they're so funky. Mm-hmm. They must mm-hmm. be crazy expensive. For now, at least, right? I mean, it's new yeah. tech. You know, you'd hope like all things, the price drops down and gets reasonable. Yeah, that's a... Uh, Huh. Zero turns there. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I love little like home chores, like shit like that. Like I, I, I would love a lawn to take care of. I'd love a tree to cut up and <laughs> cut down every now and then. It's a, it's a sad part about living in, in this city. I don't quite get my, uh, the activities that make me feel homey. Interesting. I feel slightly the opposite. I've, you know, uh, being a recently new homeowner, you know, I've got a bit of a lawn myself and it's super small, but even despite that lack of size, I've been like dreaming up like kind of grassless yard solutions because I've seen a decent amount of, uh, you know, front yards in, uh, in, uh, this town here where, uh, yeah, they don't have grass. They just have a lot of, you know, rocks and plants and it still looks pretty darn good. It's a really popular thing out west. Well, like California yeah, I here. I suppose if you're not getting that much rain. And the mm-hmm. water's fucking expensive. And, right, you're not going to water your lawn. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's probably illegal. <laughs> there there are times that, yeah, like during yeah. droughts, like they tell you, like they rotate who can water when. Mm. And yeah, it's it gets a little more intense during times of drought out here. But I don't know. I just, I like, I like the having something to do on my Saturday morning that like I just can do a task, feel accomplished by it. Cut up the tree, split the wood, stack the wood, had a day. That feeling of accomplishment is nice relatively early to moving into my place. I had to, uh, lights went out on a ceiling fan and had to fix the switch on it. And it wasn't a difficult text to, you know, fix the uh, pull chain light switch. But, you know, when I was done, I was like, oh, how about that? I made this house a little bit better. Yeah. 
kind of yeah. looking around, kind of you know dusting off the shoulder pad yourself yeah. on the and, back. And you're looking, and now and now you look at, and as you stay in the house longer, you'll have more and more projects. Where like, yeah, like I did this, I did that, I did this, yeah. and yeah, it starts little, but then you, you gain skills to take on bigger projects, and that's cool as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How's it feel to be a free landowning American? <laughs> Nick, Nick, in our society, 250 years ago, you'd be an eligible voter. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I can see what all the hype is about. It's um, <laughs> white it's land ownership. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. There's a little bit of that feeling that comes through. You're like, ah, it's kind of cool. I own some land. Wow, it's just aren't that, I? Aren't the, 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 I'm yeah, just a little bitch living in a high rise. Us, so. yeah, sorry, I live uh, on a, in a 25th floor high rise apartment above the Ritz Carlton. So. <laughs> Oh, we weren't giving out addresses. <laughs> I got pretty specific there. <laughs> yeah, man. The sniper across the way now knows yeah. where you're at. The windows are pretty dark. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. But uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend property ownership for any of those who are, uh, you know, fortunate enough and able. Um, it's just really nice. Like, yeah, you have the uh, burden of repairs on you. Now you can't just call up a landlord. But also, like, you don't have to worry about, like, a landlord coming in, changing stuff. Um, you know, I'm never going to have to deal with, like, uh, you know, undesired showings in apartments again after we moved yeah. out of our last apartment. That was nice to kind of be like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to have to prepare for, hopefully the last time, I guess I should say, fingers crossed, that I'm going to have to prepare for strangers to walk through my place of living. Um, and on, like, two days' notice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, I think in Wisconsin, technically legally, uh, you only need twelve hours notice. Yeah, that's wild. Oh, okay. But are you like, are you a part of an HOA or anything? Uh, no, no. Good for uh, you. There is a neighborhood association, but it wasn't anything listed officially, you know, on the property as part of the real estate sale mm-hmm. as an HOA. All right. And all they did was like give me a flyer. Uh, when I first moved in and they were like we do this this and this if you want to pay dues uh, you know pay them here and I was like for now I'm going to hold out you know we'll see as I get more settled into the neighborhood maybe if I get more sympathetic to what they do we'll see but so far they haven't done you know like they said we do occasional block parties and you know trick or treating and I haven't seen any of that so for now I'm kind of holding tight no that's that's great because I HOAs especially living anywhere near a city like the frequency of them. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. They're, oh, they're all over Florida. Florida. They're the worst. We're basically everywhere in Florida. I should not. Are you I'm Florida? not, yeah. luckily. I just don't think I could choose to go into it. Like, obviously, if one popped up here, I'd be like, well, that's kind of tough. Didn't expect that. Mm, yeah. But, like, I don't know. I don't know if I personally could go into one. So, my, my cousin has a two bedroom condo. Like, two bedroom, like 1,200 square feet, one bath condo. Sure. How much do you think he pays in HOA fees a month? Two bedroom, one bath, twelve hundred. Is it like a relatively urban area? Like yeah, it's urban it's like it's more. It'd be, it'd be probably considered a Denver suburb. Ooh, uh, two hundred a month. Four hundred twenty-five dollars a month. No. Jeez. Way. Yeah. His so his his HOA was upside down in the sense that they were negative when he when he got in. So he knew that this was going to be an issue, but, and, and they said, they, they said that, you know, like the way that we're going to do this is we're going to have a, like your HOA is $250, which is pretty standard out here. Mm-hmm. But every, Jeez. every year they have a special assessment uh, 
that adds like eighteen hundred dollars total to your HOA. Holy mm. Yeah. So instead of two fifty, you're paying four hundred or four hundred plus. Yeah, like it just seems like a scam, and also <laughs> HOAs seem like a way to continue segregating housing. <laughs> it's yeah, I don't know. The only thing like. I was surprised my father actually recently told me he was kind of interested in moving to an HOA area, area words, excuse me, HOA area because he's been getting a little bit annoyed with uh, early morning lawn mowing from some of the neighbors, uh-huh. which I was like, okay, you'd get some benefits there, but I just, you know, again, you know, true, true blue, true blue libertarian over here. Like, I just don't want that authority over me you know I the authority right i don't want to I, I would have to it'd have to be mowing at like 5 30 next to me for me to be like you know what i want so i want a little more overwatch and i want to pay to have the overwatch yeah wow that would be aggressive you know yeah so i don't i don't i it'd be interesting that'd be i mean i, I don't care what anybody does for the for their reason like if, if that's the reason you need to to get into it sure but it's definitely that seems like a tough one for me. Yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, it's a no for me, dog. But I suppose also, I mean, like as you get older, you probably just have a quality of life that you expect, and that's what you want, and this is the way that you're going to go about getting it. I suppose. I mean, people clearly haven't totally revolted against them, so they yeah. must like them. I'm sure that they're not like just entirely imposed on people, mm-hmm. you know. But then also, I mean, enough. So many people, I'm sure, look at it in the same way they look at rent. Like I don't really yeah. have a choice, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, from from your statement, sounds like I won't be living in Florida anytime soon. Then. Well, there's ways to avoid it, and a lot of people moving here. Real estate's going up. Yeah, real estate's going up. A lot of people moving. Well, a lot of people moving have moved. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird yeah. thing that Sean and I were just talking about how mobile like the populace is right now, and it feels like a strange thing. It is very mobile. I'll tell you one thing I've been, you know, smugly loving is the uh, ginormous U-Haul cost differences between going from California to Texas versus Texas to California. <laughs> that is all the U-Haul trucks are congregating. Yeah, bring them back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring back is free. At what point is you all like, we'll actually give you a couple of bucks if you bring a truck on back for us? Yeah, yeah no shit. <laughs> That's that is funny. That's something I hadn't considered, but I mean, because I knew like U-Haul and Penske, like box truck prices are going up like crazy right now. Like where, as a business, we used to pay like, well, we know a guy at Penske, and we used to pay like eighty-five bucks a day, and then you. So the difference between Penske's and U-Hauls is typically you pay more per day for a Penske. But you pay less in mileage. Mm-hmm. So where you pay like 85 oh. bucks a day as opposed to 40 bucks a day for a U-Haul, you'd pay 19 cents a mile or 17 cents a mile for a Penske, whereas you pay 79 cents a mile for a U-Haul. Mm. So like long trips, it just makes sense to have a Penske because you're doing a shitload of mileage, and but hopefully not over many days versus just bopping around the city and makes sense yeah. to have a U-Haul. Mm-hmm. Um but right now, like, like you can't get a Penske for less than two hundred twenty-five bucks a day. Whoo! The demand is so high. Like, if 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 you can get a Penske, if you can <laughs> find those trucks, and I, and I think the mileage is now like twenty-four cents a mile. So it's not like that's expensive relative to other op- op- options, but it's a twenty-five percent increase. Yeah. Damn, it's impressive. 
Yeah, I don't know. We we live in a weird time, and we're all going to experience inflation. But you know, modern monetary people just don't care. <laughs> Who's to say they're bad? Um, uh, yes, someone is to say they're wrong. Someone is to say. Someone is to say they're wrong. Opinions, and when but... I'm paying a shitload more for everything on this earth, I'm going to blame them. Well, your salary goes up too, so maybe. Usually. Will my will my salary reflect six percent inflation? We'll see. I doubt it. Dude, but also, also, a quick fuck Biden, if you will, indulge me. <laughs> sure. Uh, lumber is already insanely expensive right now. Like, like where, like costs are generally up over 50%, just to put it in perspective. And the brilliance that is the Biden-Harris team or this government or whoever the fuck is running things, because God only knows as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, It's a puppet state anyway. (laughs) Yeah, the lizard people. The lizard people are fucking (laughs) with us these days. But lumber taxes, like import tariffs from Canada on Canadian lumber are going from 9% to over 18% in the coming months. That's going to go all... Like, yeah, what what is going on? I've just, for me personally, I've gotten into some arguments. Eh, arguments is maybe a little bit too aggressive of a word. Uh, opposite discussions with my father over this trade war when, when it first got started a couple of years ago. And I just, I've never supported it. I've never understood it. And, like, I saw a number that, like, Americans have been taking the vast majority of the financial blow from this war, even though it was supposed to be hurting other countries, not Americans. And I, to your point, Brett, I I feel you exactly in terms of what is going on. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, are we, are we trying to, like impact the lumber industry in a for a climate situation like what are we doing what is going on are we trying to fuck with canada like what are what are are we are we just fucking with americans for funsies like i imagine i I read a stat the other day that oh sorry here we are running into each other yeah yeah Uh, i read a stat the other day that um the average so the average cost of lumber like at what's happened in home building the average cost to build a home has gone up $36,000 because of lumber prices. Mm-hmm. That's fucking crazy. Well, and yeah, so, and that's why like the housing market's been so weird in that there's a lot of demand, but like there's just like new supply is just almost nowhere to be seen. So like for me, I overbid Granted, granted to live in a town that's pretty well in demand, but I overbid for a super old house that, like, you know, it, you know, is it, it, I'm not going to say it's, like, horrible, but, it, you know, it's not perfect. Um, a little bit of a fixer-upper? A wee bit, yeah. I, I would say a light fixer-upper is a good way to describe it. Sure. But, like, because, you know, because nobody's building anything new around here, that's kind of, you just have to go that way. That's what you have to go with. And that's where, like, I was having the exact opposite interaction looking around Denver. Because uh, to, to buy your own house prior to, well, currently and prior to now, like, prior to where the cost to build things got obscene, to buy your own house, like, it's it's almost impossible. Like, I'm not spending three hundred and fifty grand on 1,100 square feet mm-hmm. in a shitty neighborhood mm-hmm. that I still have to fix up. Right. Like that's that's just not reasonable. But versus like my my aunt and uncle, they just built a house for 
I think it was like 475. It's 2,600 square feet, like gorgeous, like marble countertops, you know, in a, in a very decent neighborhood. Like, why, why would you not do that? Right. Well, that, that's the right. only thing that makes sense in that scenario. But now if, if to caught, if to build that house, which I would, is a, an above average house as far as like size out here. So if that went up more than 40 grand to build that house, now that's not really that tenable either. Like we're running into very similar issues where the prices are now a lot more relative, are a lot more comparable where before you just needed time and a little bit of land to build a house because you can get that done for a reasonable rate. Now, right. <laughs> I don't know, maybe buying the $330,000 fixer upper is the move. I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating. I'm, I'm not impressed with the housing market <laughs> in Denver. Well, I mean, it's always your problem around cities. Like yeah. whenever you fuck around like that with cities like i mean seattle's had that problem like crazy like no one can afford to live there anymore and like shit like that but i don't know it is frustrating when it's one of those things that you probably just gotta wait for things to kind of change a little between that sort of housing trend you know urban housing trend i'll say and uh covid I sometimes wonder, like, if our lifetime will see, you know, a sort of resurgence of the suburbs, you know, um, will will it be more popular to live outside of urban? Because I feel like, you know, I feel like the tens as a decade, you know, it got cooler and cooler to live more urban and urban. And I wonder if, you know, the pendulum is starting to swing the other way on that. I'd be super down with that. I love suburbs with like like a kind of main street area, you know, like where you still got bars and shops and restaurants. Like I think those are cool as hell. I mean, Sam, Sam's family in the greater San Francisco area live in something similar to that. And I think, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's fun to have access. I I want to be able to walk to something like that, but I really don't need to be in a city. I don't necessarily enjoy hearing about stabbings that are on my block or like witnessing a shooting. Like I don't need that. Uh, I had um, the apartment I moved out of on that same block, like literally the week after I moved out, a couple houses down, there was uh, a, a house got shot up, and I think it was just a totally random case of mistaken identity. Oh, good, like, good, good, good. Yeah. Love that. The right guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it was a no-knock raid. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, on my street, so, one, I'm... I'm very excited for you to get out here, Nick. Uh, yeah. I've enjoyed all of my time. We still have a fair amount, a little bit left with Sean and Haley out here, but I'm very excited for you to get out here. Yeah, uh, definitely. Because the stadium, so the stadium is on like 20th and Blake. Hmm. So Blake is four streets over from me. And okay. since I'm already discussing where I live, uh, on my street 19th, there was yeah, a right. stabbing on Blake and, or a shooting on Blake and 19th. Two blocks away from the stadium. That's that's nice. That's yeah, and nice. on and on the street, uh, on the on the other opposite side from the stadium, there was a stabbing on basically on my corner. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think I think a lot of the stabbing and stuff like that are kind of homeless interactions with each other. Yeah, I guess the question is like, how unsafe does that make you feel, and how how much of a factor is it? For- it's not like. It's, it's definitely a factor in where I would, like, want to move to in the sense of I don't, like, I'm more, 
aware of neighborhoods where like shootings happen at night. Like, like I said, like if I'm, if I'm not out between pretty much two 30 and six, like I'm not going to experience anything like that. Like that's when these things happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I generally live that lifestyle now that I'm not too much of a, I'm walking, I'm prowling the streets at four 30. <laughs> but <laughs> so if I, so anywhere is pretty much okay. As long as you can avoid that. But also I don't want to live in a place where, yeah, the house next to me is being shot up at four thirty in the morning because we think someone we hate lives there. Right. Like I don't, I don't want that. So it's a thing that I'm, I'm factoring in when thinking about moving from here. Oh, yeah. So yeah, all you, all you creepy stalkers out there, you've only got so many months left where I'm going to be at the location <laughs> that you now know. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's, a, it's a, it's a thing that I factor in, but it doesn't make me feel unsafe here. You know, mm-hmm. watching a uh, like gunfire made me feel unsafe. Yeah. But it's not like it was at anyone. You know, it's like I want, I didn't witness a murder. I just saw someone shooting a gun in the air, like on a city street when I was 75 feet away. That sure. was stressful. But That's fine. It was, dude, it was, it was the most intense, like two minutes of my life, that moment. And then the moments after. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I mean, was it just one dude by, by themselves, himself, so herself? It was a black off? SUV. There's a black SUV and I'm just walking down a street and I was about to walk down the street. This black SUV was on, but then I saw a hand come out of the window and I heard five bangs or seven bangs. I don't remember at this point, but, and then saw flashes too. So I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And there's, if you've been around enough guns, like you can tell the sound of a gun versus the sound of like a backfire, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's, it's distinct. And when, when I'm 75 feet away from a gunshot, I can usually, I've got a pretty good feel for what that, <laughs> I, that, what that uh, noise was. Right. Right. And especially if you got visual cues too, that kind of helps. Uh, yeah. The whole thing. So I just watched some dude like fire off of, of several rounds just into the night sky. You know, and I mean, my first thing, like I hid behind this like art structure. I was like, Jesus, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> like just like on the opposite side of this behind something that is metal. You know, have joined him in celebrating. Yeah, look yours out and pop the feud. <laughs> Talk about a reason to carry, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> reasons why I carry for impromptu Just, celebrations. Amen, amen. When when my when, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I was gonna say when my homies downtown are having fun, but then I felt like I was gonna get a little too racially with uh, with yeah. homies, but. <laughs> It's, you know, it's flirtatious. My bros. My fellow city dwellers. Yeah, my fellow, my, my fellow Cretans of this uh, generally Down. decent city. But, I, right. uh, but yeah, so that was, that was about as scary as I'm, like, I'm never uncomfortable with guns and I was uncomfortable with a gun in that scenario. <laughs> I mean... You know, and um, maybe I'm simping too much for guns here by trying to, you know, offer alternative phrasing for you here. But I mean, like you, you were just uncomfortable with some random dude acting very randomly, and you had no clue what the what the hell was. Yeah, going on. yeah, yeah. No, and like if he was if he was shooting at a box, I'd probably be more comfortable with it. But like, we're just shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I was I was very uncomfortable with a private citizen's choice with how they used their gun. <laughs> Right. The manner within which they were using the gun, not the gun itself. Mm-hmm. You are you are correct. I should uh that that's phrasing I should be more sensitive to as a awful as I am an awful simp for gun ownership as well. <laughs> right. Our right. our our close our colleague here, Nick, uh not Nick, it's goddamn it, Sean. 
Yes. He doesn't see any reasons why you should care. He doesn't ah. think you don't guns. Doesn't believe in protecting the home front. No reasons? No, these are words being put in my mouth. Okay, just, okay, okay. I just like to ask questions and Brett. Uh, takes there were, that there to was me. no there was no question <laughs> asked yesterday on our hike. Those were statements. <laughs> That's not true. That that is true. Oh boy. Somebody's okay, we've got we've got we've got here. we have a difference in the facts. Yeah, <laughs> the facts yeah. in this case. It's just alternative facts. Agree that no one knows what happened. No one knows what happened. But okay, so <laughs> what is your stance on gun ownership, Sean? Because I could I could rattle off a few reasons why I wanna why I'd, I'd I'd like to be carrying. Yeah, I think my stance is just I don't have strong opinions, but I question. It'd be, I, I don't know if there's a way to know these things, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, he, he softens up his takes when he's on the mic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I question interesting. whether it's actually there's benefit to allowing people to carry and how that compares with the negative of certainty of increased gun violence because of higher numbers of guns. And that's where, like we were saying yesterday, I think it's almost impossible to measure right. deterrent based on, like, especially something like open carry. I agree, too. Yeah. Right. It's, you really can't measure those yeah. things. And that's why I'm, I'm a very pro open carry person. Like, my uncle always says, like, well, well, that just makes you a target, too. Well, if everyone around me is open carrying, how am I the target? Like, right. I would be totally fine in a scenario where many people around me are open carrying as well as myself. Well, and also, what maniac is like, oh, look at that dude carrying a gun. That's the dude I'm going to kill. Like, I'll tell you, I'm going to try and shoot first that guy. Well, right. In a nightclub, probably. But Yeah, I don't know. But it's just, it's a thing where if, if you've got multiple people open carrying, no, it's, it's the safety of numbers. Like, you're in a scenario where I'm not alone. And that person, like, you can clearly tell that there are multiple people in this scenario that I will have a problem with if I'm trying to start trouble. Mm-hmm. Or that I could potentially have a problem with. Not that they will act on it or act in a way right. that will really give me too much mm-hmm. of an issue, but the potential for that is much higher now that I can see the yeah. the deterrent. But so it's the know. Uh, you know what what does Dennis call it? It's the um, uh, insinuation, not insinuation. Yeah, it's 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 the, the implication. The implication, yes, that's what it is. It's the implication. You the, see. Are you are you talking about taking these women out on the boat and, and not giving them the choice to leave? No, 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 no. It's the implication that they can't leave. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, just because I'm carrying doesn't mean I'm, you know, going to be a, a, you know, dead-eye lawman with it. But it's the implication I might be a dead-eye lawman. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the thoughts that those put in your head that, I, that you might have an issue that is the true deterrent. But I, I don't know. So things like that, I, I have no problem with and. I don't. I really don't have a, uh, an issue with uh, concealed carry either. But I just think for me, open carry makes more sense in a larger group setting. Yeah. The only th- yeah. I guess I'm not sure if I care too much about concealed versus open. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't have a problem either. Yeah. Yeah. I think both are fine with me. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. we'll see. Who knows? Who yeah, knows is right. Who knows is right. But I again, <laughs> I would still like to have the opportunity. I'm a big freedom guy. I'd like to. I'd like the opportunity to make the decision for myself. The the thing for me. So if we are going to dive second amendment a little bit, you know, I think almost any reason you can come up with, you know, supporting the second amendment and our gun ownership is, 
you know, a reason on my list. But the top one for me is just that we are a nation born of a citizen militia. And, you know, personally, I just don't... For me personally, it's like, well, if that's the story of our country, how can we not allow citizens to possess weapons? And then, and I love people because, well, you really think that the citizens of the United States could handle the might of the U.S. military? Um, do you really think that some peasant farmers in a colony could handle the, you know, greatest navy and one of the largest armies the world has ever seen? Like, yeah, and and for a modern repudiation of that stance. The Afghans did a pretty good job. The uh, Vietnamese did a pretty good job. Like, obviously, they had backing in other ways, but, like, it's not like the Afghans had much more than small arms and the occasional RPG. Right. So, yeah, you can do it on your home territory, typically. And the idea that the might, quote-unquote, of the American military would be willing to come crashing down on its own citizens is absurd. Yeah, I think most of the situations are... (laughs) fairly absurd for like these conversations yeah like i don't know like to me even the the idea about like defending yourself is pretty absurd i think if you look at the statistics i don't think that is at all in the sense of it's not necessarily what the statistics look like it's what i have the ability to do within my household yeah and i understand the case for just the freedom philosophically just wanting the freedom of and it's not even just wanting freedom. Just, I, I think that I deserve the right to protect myself. Right, right. You know? And, I don't know, I've, I've always made the argument that the, sh- that the shotgun is the ultimate home defense weapon. Mm-hmm. But, because I don't really need rounds sailing through walls into the into the, into the the rooms of my children or wife. Uh, preferably not. Preferably not. And I certainly don't need much more range than about 10 feet. So, <laughs> no. There will always so, be some gun nut who will tell you, though, oh, home defense, you need 12-gauge slugs. That's what you need. <laughs> you and like, or I need a 30-capacity 5.56. Five, no. <laughs> no, I don't. That's how I'm going to defend my home and the home next door and the one beyond that. And Yeah, and the, and the guy in the next county. <laughs> That's why I take my 50 cal. <laughs> If you don't go to bed with a 50 cal pointer at your bedroom door, you just ain't safe. <laughs> yeah, make my day, brother. Make my day from <laughs> 700 yards away. <laughs> and that's where, I don't know, like a lot of, that's that's where, yeah, this, this conversation is so hard to have because people are so annoying on both sides and so, so, so emotionally dedicated to their cause. Mm. When, yeah, like, I think the, most people don't really know shit about guns. Yeah. Definitely. And so few people that are passionate about like gun control have never interacted with a gun. Yeah. Right. Or have never, and if then like the idea of a gun being in their household would probably absolutely terrify them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea of me, someone who knows next to nothing about guns and has no experience owning a gun or being in a household with a gun, it's kind of ridiculous for me to think I have any <laughs> real ideas about what and, we should be doing here. Yeah. It starts like, somewhere though. I'm a, yeah, and I'm a big fan of not, like, needing to qualify your ideas with, like, experience as opposed to, like, if you make a good argument, you make a good argument regardless yeah. of where it comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely. But like, I'll never forget being in the cafeteria of our of our dorm freshman year with one of my with one of my friends, Maddie, at the aforementioned Maddie in the show. And mm-hmm. she was telling me, obviously pro-gun me, especially at 18 years old, uh-huh. uh, 
uh, she was telling me the stats on like how much more likely you are to have like a gun related incident when you have guns in the house. It was like, okay, like, yeah, and I would assume my kid's a lot more likely to drown if I've got a pool in the backyard. Right. Shark attacks a little bit more likely in California than Wyoming. Yeah, and you're only going to be in a plane crash if you fly. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah. this conversation, like, things like that. And obviously, at 18, you're not necessarily, you haven't necessarily honed in your thought process. But the idea that, like, this is something that's considered acceptable in a class is comical that that argument is considered reasonable when it's so easily refuted. Yeah, that's um, that's a common, like, statistics misuse or abuse, and I forgot the technical term to it, but, you know, it's like flawed correlation or, or something like that. Well, don't even like, get me started here about this, Nick. Yeah, oh, Sean, Sean thinks he's Mr. Statistic now. I do. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'll just, I'll go on and on about how nonsense most... I mean, most statistics are just complete nonsense. There's there's nothing to be said there. Well, some right. of your statistics that like are of interest to people are coming from a place where it's not like it's not like how 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 often are you successful in putting a shot in a four inch circle at three hundred yards? Like it's not something that's no. so easily measurable. Right. It's something that like is a socio demographic statistic, right. which is impossible to encompass anything with <laughs> exactly. it. Okay, so here's a question for you, Nick, as a more classically trained statistician. Sure. Is it, how much does the like statistics communi- community respect things that are like sociological studies? Like studies done on humans? Oh, interesting. Um, that is an interesting question. You know, my understanding which I'll kind of qualify, you know, still still young and experienced, so I'm not going to claim to be a premier source, but I don't think there's, like, a, a stigma against it. Uh, you know, like, if you just explicitly said, you know, we had a, a human-based data set, I don't think anybody would be like, you know, oh, yeah, this is a, you know, shit analysis. But, you know, it certainly is going to open up a, a typical set of scoops scrutinizing questions you know how many people are we talking about very you know varied backgrounds you know it is a diverse group of people um you know if it's a if it's a study with any sort of academic merit there's definitely going to be some scrutiny with it but not you know it's not like an immediate red flag I, i think that's fair and i think that makes sense in the sense of like as long as you're following like good statistical practice you right. should be generally fine like and then that probably just means your your error bars are significantly larger and that's more acceptable in that field see what i what i see is in my in my view there's like a very big disconnect between people who know statistics and people who do science and like most of the people writing these papers to in my perspective are we calling sociology science <laughs> well whatever they're studying like most of these people don't have a very good understanding of statistics at all in any way that they can use statistics very powerfully. And I don't know, I guess I don't see a lot of like statistics community going the other way and like learning enough about, you know, whatever sociology or like even whatever, like, I don't know, psychology or whatever. Like I don't see them kind of overlapping where they can even, I don't know. See, I can speak to, I can speak to biology though. And like, like having to take statistics classes. 
Like, right. like I had to take statistics classes just on a very base level, mm-hmm. but then like the PhD kids in my labs were taking like pretty damn serious stats classes mm. and like very much, cause you, you pretty much have to, well, one, you just got to know like the ins and outs of R basically just to do your shit. Mm-hmm. But then they, because for your paper to hold up to like scientific rigor of peer review, the expectation of your stats is that they will be thought out and well done. Uh-huh. Right. And I don't know. I don't, I can't, obviously I can't say from personal experience what goes on in sociology. I would assume that they do similar things, but in, in biology, like, I know that you're, you're made to take rigorous classes once you get to certain levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, it is interesting. I think I do see that. I guess like COVID comes to mind. Certainly like, there's well, lots of like, people who shouldn't be talking about stats, talking about stats. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and I think, but I think that happens a lot. And like, there's, yeah, there's a difference between like some super rigorous scientific study, but like those are like a, that a lot of the times they're not really saying anything like practical. fast and dirty demographic things. And like, right. yeah, I don't know. There's like a very big difference to me. Like, sure. If, if you're trying out like a new drug, you can run your experiment. Like we know how to run that experiment, double blind and gather the right data and run the statistical analyses that actually show you you've discovered something and it's not just randomness but i don't know i think yeah a lot of like the faster and dirtier things are like a lot of the time you simply cannot gather data that will allow you to run a statistical conclusion like the only conclusion you can come to is i don't have real enough or good enough data to show anything right i think that's lost on a lot of people especially a lot of people in policy making areas well, in particular with policymaking, you know, given, you know, given a certain amount of data, you know, you can dredge it enough to yeah. find something. Stats to fit the policy, not policy that, to fit the stats. Right, right. You can make it, you know, something that, you know, sort of makes it seem like or helps, you know, viewers jump to the conclusions you want them to jump to, regardless of the relevancy of that information. Do you ever wish like the experts in stat- statistics would speak up more and like start like you know rigorously showing like this is all fake they cannot say these things Sometimes I wonder about that do we need more expertise with that but then sometimes I just get a little pessimistic and I wonder like I mean especially if we're you know speaking in the realm of politics right now you know who's going to want to stick their neck out there cuz like you know, you go you go out there to, you know, try and prove something wrong on one side. Well, now that one side's, you know, labeled you, you're an enemy of the yeah. the party for for life. Yeah. And, you know, who's going to want to go stick their neck out for that? You know, I don't know if it would have much of an impact, unfortunately, if they did. You're not exactly appealing to anything other than just trying to be like, to trying to do gen- genuine good thing. You know, like that's the that's the only appeal in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Like you can maybe do something that's genuinely good as opposed to like just letting it fly, but letting it fly like you, yeah, you don't have to put your neck out. You don't have to be, it takes a, it takes a lot of courage and I understand that it'd be very scary. I get it. Yeah. But I don't know. I think, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting field just because it can be so useful, but it, it can be so abused. And, Certainly. And people like people more or less, and they go out with the intent to abuse Oh, all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of just ignorance that happens, but yeah, yeah, like a a lot of people, especially like red meat studies cause cancer, 
like why can't a class yeah. love those studies? Talk like, about a great field of study yeah. that has no real science behind it. Because it's like, yeah, if you eat a pound of red meat a day for dozens of years, like, yeah, then you might have a higher likelihood to mm-hmm. develop cancer, sure. But you can never remove the confounding variables yeah. no matter how you run your study. And that's where, like, like studies on, like, specific cancers in places like Japan, like, you can make, you can do studies on the Japanese and do links to, like, mercury in the amount of fish they eat because they're mm-hmm. such a marine society, mm-hmm. you know? Like, those are things that are much more easily made and defended and claimed and just kind of make sense on a base level. But, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing that and – and it's the dumbest thing that's come out of, like, this last year is the phrase, like, trust the science. Except for when the science points to maybe school reopenings are safe and then uh, we'll kind of ignore that. Yeah, no, or when, like, you know, you can you can be in public, like, without your mask on, even if you aren't vaccinated. Like, you can just cross, you can be walking around the streets without these things because it's unnecessary. Like, right. yeah, heaven forbid we show that study to the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It does make you wonder, like, as three people who understand science and, like, we see that nonsense, it's just, like, it's a weird spot to be in. To just be like, like, I so clearly see you're all full of shit. Yeah. And I know why. And apparently a lot of people don't. And yeah. I mean, that the whole, the, this whole approach to the pandemic, like there's been so much disheartening stuff where it's just like a gross amount of attempted social engineering in a scenario when you definitely shouldn't be trying to social engineer, like abusive statistics and like people's freedoms and the information cycle. Like it's all, it's all been bad, but yeah, let, let alone the everyone's being inside for a year and a yeah. half. Like not not even taking consider like the death toll of a pandemic or the like mental breakage that happens from people being forced to be inside and like close their businesses or you know. Right. Like, well, maybe this is the perfect thing to end yeah. on here. I think we should because we've we've kept you, Nick, for like three hours now. <laughs> hey, yeah, Nick, I, I mean, Nick did say June's going to be the big the big year. Or the big month of oh. reopening. So. I, I heard I Nick's going to so. say something about Jews, but yeah, June. Oh, June. <laughs> June, yes. If you have any yes. Jew takes. If, if you have any Jew takes. I don't know if there's any original I mean, ones left. I don't I think hope so, they do. I, I hope they do well post-COVID, you know. I'm, you know, you know hopefully hope, June. Hope, you're long on Jews. Hope, yeah, hopefully we have a good Jew June, you know. I, I would appreciate a little bit, uh, you know, cooler weather, maybe a little bit of rain, but, you know. <laughs> I, could, I don't want to ask too much of, uh, of our overlords. I'm not sure about y'all, but um, around my way, we've had, this is the third straight day of 90 plus degrees, so it is hot. That's what my dad was telling me. He's like, yeah, like a week and a half ago, the low was 32, and now it's 95. Yep. Fuck that. Shout out, baby. Yeah, we love, we love, but uh, yeah, I think think it's going to be great in June now. Now we've got every, pretty much everywhere's open, everyone's kind of feeling alive again, like, Mm-hmm. I don't know. Walking yeah. around the streets last night yeah. with people, with people up and about. I mean, man, it just it feels good. It does. It does. Yeah. Long time coming. So hopefully, hopefully this is uh, the June that we'll remember for at least a little while as the full stamp on the end of this crazy, crazy time that not many people get to experience. But uh, definitely, Nick, thank you. Yeah, thank you both, Brett and Sean, very much. Really appreciate you both having me. Uh, it was a pleasure.
I I would love to have you more. It's just it's just it's fun to have another person's perspective. It's good to have another guy around just to throw thing off of, throw things off of. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if we want to definitely do a need a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to do a sequel of us three, you know, let me know. We could uh, we could make it happen. You know, I'll have my people talk to your people. You know, very yeah, busy exactly. schedule. And you know, this this the the ad people are going to be a little disappointed that we didn't sneak any in this episode. But <laughs> sure, you know, yeah, yeah, our, our team our up. team's going to be a little messed up. But you know, fuck them. You know, we're too big. We're too big. You can't yeah. stop this. We set our own no. agenda. Yeah. How are you going to shut this down? <laughs> Too big to fail, baby. Yeah. Take your Pringles ad and shove it up your ass. You know? <laughs> but uh, we appreciate it, buddy. And it's been uh, great talking to you and great to catch up a little over uh, over this. And I don't know. It's always nice to have fresh perspective on things that Sean and I like to talk about. Definitely. Glad I could provide that. And uh, thanks again for having me. Of course, brother. Well, you right. have a wonderful day and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Hopefully it's not too hot for you. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. You both as well. All right. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, thanks. All right, bye, buddy. See ya. See ya. Oh, disconnected. Disconnected. <laughs> Any last thoughts? I don't know. It was wonderful to have a... It's good to have Nick on. I, uh... I don't know. I like it. I like having another person just, like, bounce things into. I'd be... I wish we could have, like, access to people. Bang, 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 bang. Like... Like, uh, if we were in a scenario where, like, we could just call someone up, like, bang, like, like this oh, is our yeah. on this. Like, like Nick, we've got a stats question because we don't really understand this. Or, like, we're interested in this cyber talk. Yeah. Like, I want you right in right now. But I I enjoyed it. And I think I I really appreciate his perspectives on things. And it helped. I mean, it always helps. They align with mine, generally. Yeah. But <laughs> in that, he's one of my favorite, most interesting parts of Nick is, like, he's He's so cautious with the things he's thinking about. And I think mm-hmm. that's like, like, and you don't see that very often. Yeah, you now. can tell that process going on in his head. Yeah, which yeah. I think like it's good. And people yeah. should be doing that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I fire things off from the hip, but that's kind of just like for the sake of being mildly entertaining or try, attempting to be mildly entertaining. But one thing Nick's always done really well is always just like, he's very thoughtful with his approach. I think that's awesome. I think that's just cool. You don't see it, you know. That's a thing that, like, I am actively trying to like convince myself to do more all the time. You know, uh-huh. it's a thing that you've got to be conscious of. Yeah, I think it's a little environment specific, yeah. but it's definitely something to do. Like, I don't know. I think it's cool to switch between. Like sometimes you probably be like, yeah, if you're like trying to have a thoughtful conversation, like, about right? Not over, sure. not going past what you think just for effect or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I I enjoyed the conversation. I thought it was. Maybe we Interesting. can talk more about relationships next time. <laughs> I would love to have the that way, too. Yeah, like the way we our conversations always go. Like I the know. number of times we mentioned Sam and Haley is probably like three. Yeah, like, these yeah. are just not the things we talk about. No, and naturally. that's and that's the thing. Like I would love his takes on like his relationship yeah. with Lane versus our experiences, and just like seeing where he's at. And then like, I'd love to hear about like like our experiences with our relationships as a group. Yeah. No. no. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do another... We're going to have to do a sequel just for... There's not enough fucking time in the day. Well, never is. We never get to those questions unless no. we... Unless you, unless you, like, force it yeah, down. Like, and, here's yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I wish we would have been a little less tired at the start of the episode, yeah. but... My brain was not awake. Yeah, no, that's on us. Eh. That's on us, but I think it was a good one. But All, all right, right, love you, buddy. Love you, Brett.